Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away, back, goal. Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. Chris Townsend with you here from the studios at NBC in San Francisco as the Athletics are starting a road trip against the Chicago White Sox. It's three against the Sox, then a day off on Monday, and then to Anaheim, and then another day off. So the A's are going to be getting some rest. On this date, we're going to start the show with this because – What's cool about being in these studios is that we've got all these TVs around. It just popped up on MLB Network. On this date, Ricky Henderson with the Oakland Athletics, July 29th, 1989, stole five bases without the aid of a base hit, leading to one of the most fascinating stat lines you will ever see. 33 years ago today, zero plate appearances, four runs, four walks, five stolen bases. Let me repeat that. Zero plate appearances. So that's zero hits, zero at-bats, two zeros, zero dash zero, four runs, four walks, five stolen bases. The only player, since everybody's talking about Shohei Otani now, when you're talking about the only player in baseball history, you know, we hear that uh, on a daily basis with Shohei. Ricky Henderson was a guy that did stuff that only one man has ever done in the history of the game. And today is a great example of that. Wanted to lead out the show. You know, we talk so much about Juan Soto. And obviously, Juan Soto 
an incredible story of where he is in his career, right? He's 23 years old. He's already won a World Series. He's he 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 is a guy that has so much of of a career left in front of him. And because he got to the big league so early, that means you get to free agency early. And no one's going to want to do multiple contracts. You're going to want to do one contract. Let's get this let's get this this get this decided, let's get it done, right? Nats go out, the Nationals offer him a huge deal. He turns it down, and everybody's like, whoa, you turned down $440 million. I don't care how many years it's for, whether you talk 10 years, 8 years, whatever it is. I mean, you're talking over $400 million, guaranteed. We're now seeing with Mike Trout, has a back problem. He's got an, he's got whatever's left on the deal, but it's four hundred and thirty-five million. He's getting every penny of that. Now the Angels is something. If the back continues to get bad, hopefully it doesn't. I mean, he's one of the great talents of all time. The, these contracts are insured, okay? So don't feel bad for these teams. Contracts are insured, but Trout's getting his money. Whether it's 10 years, everybody gets so worried about what's the annual, what are you getting paid? What, what does it matter? You're getting $400-plus million. This is beyond generational wealth. I mean, this is, this is, this is wealth of athletes we, we couldn't even ever imagine. I still remember when Nolan Ryan was the first million-dollar-a-year guy. I remember in the late 80s, early 90s, where guys, oh, he got $3 million a year. He got $4 million in a year. We were flipping out then. You're now talking guaranteed money of over 400 We were just tripping out when it was $300 million. You're going to get Mookie Betts, what, Fernando Tatis Jr., what? By the way, how's that Fernando Tatis Jr. contract looking so far? I mean, crazy, right? Crazy. And now we're talking $500 million. Well, news is coming out that you're going to see the Nats go one last try at it. Good for them. They're going to give them one last try. I don't know if it's more money, less years, more years, more money. I don't know what they're going to offer. We'll, we'll, we'll get the rumor, and we'll see whether, whether Juan Soto takes it or not. But he's been bumped off the front page. You got to go into the second. Remember the newspaper, folks? He's been bumped off the front page. It's now the Angels floating Shohei Otani. Just floating it out there. And the commander to my right here, as we were driving up to San Francisco today, I said, This reminds me of that someone comes into your neighborhood, they spend X amount of money on a house. They tear it down, then they build this massive, gorgeous, all-brand-new house. And what they do is they put the sign up. It doesn't say sale. Doesn't say, it just says coming soon, right? It's right there on the lawn. You walk by it. Everybody walks their dog by it. And all of a sudden, they put this big, mon- this big monster house behind me. It's coming soon. doesn't say when. It just says coming soon. And then what happens? Well, the machine starts to get going, right? 
real estate agents, everybody starts checking in, looking at it online. Everybody starts sniffing around, starts making calls. Never says it's for sale or when it's for sale. Just says coming soon. That's it. It's coming. You got to know it's coming. It's going to be it's going to be on the market at some point when we don't know. That's what they're doing with Shohei Otani. Throw the trial balloons up. That's all they're doing. And it's fa- if Juan Soto was the most fascinating, as we said last Friday. No, it would have been. When was the last time we were on? Wednesday? Tuesday. Tuesday, yes. Uh, at the Coliseum. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't I ask Vince Catronio, who I think when you talk – overall knowledge of the game for a play-by-play guy. Vince, you know, a lot of us, you're so focused on your team. Vince does a great job focusing on everybody. I asked Vince, didn't I on Tuesday, like, isn't he the most fascinating, young, potential trade piece we've ever seen? Yeah, and I mean, I for sure think he is. It's not even close. Yeah, but you're a kid. Vince has been around this yeah, for a long Vince time. Has been, Vince has been in the show for way many more years than you and I have been. You can't you can't even go into the 80s about baseball, for God's well, sake. Well, I mean, I was a year old, or how, almost a year old, when Ricky had the I start ta- unofficial stat line. I start talking about my 80s and my late 70s, and you go dark on me. So, Vince, and, and you know, so Otani is a free agent after next year. Soto is a free agent after two years. Correct. So you would get him for this year and then two arbitration okay. years. Okay. So Soto was the most fascinating. And Soto may still be the most fascinating from a standpoint of just baseball. And this is where, and I said this also to Cody on the way up, this is why one of the reasons why this show works is because we don't think alike. I asked Cody. I said, Cody, if you had to trade for Otani or Juan Soto, who is essentially a bigger deal for an organization? And your answer was? Shohei Otani. Why? Because if you're a team like the Cardinals, for example, that need a frontline starting pitcher because you're – Ace Jack Flaherty is hurt, and you got Wainwright and and Miles Michaelis. Michaelis, sorry, he fits the bill of the hole in your starting pitching, and he's a great hitter. So you get two for one. Where Soto's just a hitter, and you already have a pretty good offense with Arnado and Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill, who's back. Harrison Bader's out for a couple more weeks, but you already have offense. You need a starting pitcher, and he gets you a chance to make a run for the postseason and win your division in the NL Central. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't debate any of that. Was that my answer? No. Nope. Because I'm not your your regular stat de- geek. No offense. <laughs> Shohei Otani is the biggest business that there is in Major League Baseball. He is huge business for an organization. He is put him up there right now. Can't put Tiger Woods up there now. Tiger doesn't play anymore. But you look at a guy like LeBron James, you look at Shohei Otani, it's the amount of money that a guy can generate for your entire organization with a lot of that coming from overseas money. Now, I want you to think about that. See, Cody is a fantasy baseball player, and all of a sudden he's trying to figure out, how's this, where you're going to win? And then, Yeah, all that's true. 
And that's Juan Soto, too. Juan Soto is a force. I don't know how Juan Soto became the best player in our game. I heard that twice today. He's the best player in our game. I go, the best player? Like, the best player? I disagree, but. The, the, the player? I mean, he's the best player. He's, people are calling him the best player. I'm like, wait, because he walks a lot? Yeah. Very valuable. Can he hit? Very valuable. He's the best all-around player? No, that, that still belongs to Mike Trout, but bad back or not. <laughs> Trout, but the bats. I mean, there's multiple guys that do a lot of different things that Judge. are better. Aaron Judge, another walk-off. I, I, I mean, how many times has this guy got to do it? So, slow down on Soto's the best player right now in the game. Uh, he's going to be one of the best players. He's just 23 years old. I get all that. He makes me no money. I'm in San Francisco, California. I can walk down the street with Juan Soto, and not one person's going to know who the hell this guy is. Juan Soto comes to town. I don't care what team he's on. He's not packing the stands. The amount, the millions and millions of dollars that the Angels make off Japanese money is amazing. This is a whole different cat. It's like the NBA guys, like our own Steph Curry. Clay Thompson had his shoe deal in China. The amount of money, Rakuten is the sponsor, right, of the Warriors, or was? Yeah, it's still Rakuten. And aren't they, aren't, isn't that Chinese? Uh, correct, yes. Or an affiliation with? Yeah, no, they're, they're, it's a Chinese company. Hey, what's his name? The old GM of the the Rockets when he talked bad about uh, Oh, that's that's my favorite NBA GM. That'd be the great Daryl Morey, president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia he, 76ers. And he was talking about Hong Kong, right? Hong Kong, yeah. Right. He makes the thing. And next thing you know, the NBA. Oh, they're Sorry, they're Japanese. Huh? Rakuten's a Japanese, Japanese company. Yeah, I, I wanted to double check. Based out of Tokyo. Then I'm kind of wrong on that, but you know where I'm going with it. The, con, the, the amount of money that the NBA makes off China. It's really dicey because when you do business with China, there's things that come with it. And when Daryl Morey came out and said that about China, the NBA, they weren't worried about politics. They weren't about humanity. They didn't want to screw up. And China immediately warned them, hey, we'll stop airing games. We'll start pulling this guy. And that's dollar signs to the NBA. You'll never hear LeBron James say any. I'm not getting political. I'm just this. You could this is all factual. You can you can watch YouTube interviews of what these men say. LeBron James will criticize all kinds of stuff in the United States of America. He will not criticize anything in China because that's big money to him. So there's a lot of money to be made overseas. The NBA makes money. China, Europe, they make all kinds of money all over. That's what Shohei Otani is. Shohei Otani fills your ballpark. He fills your ballpark when he hits. He fills your ballpark when he pitches. He is, he's a money-generating machine in this country and overseas. And last time I checked, what are we in? We're in the entertainment business. Okay, we're in the entertainment business. My job as an organization is to entertain you, and I make money doing it. Are you crazy you're going to give up this cash cow? This guy is the biggest cash cow maybe we have seen 
foreign organization since Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, and then going all the way back to the guy who was the ultimate cash cow, Babe Ruth. How many guys, how, or like they play, and you could, I mean, you get DiMaggio, probably Mantle, but how many guys that when they play, people, it doesn't matter the amount of money. People want to see it. And, it, and, 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 you know, as great as Trout is, Trout's not that guy. There's nobody in baseball. There's really nobody in sports, right? I think Tom Brady kind of elevated to that level, but people go to the – I could be playing quarterback, and Cody could be playing quarterback on the other team, and people are showing up. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a football player that packs the stands. Would you say there's a football player who – I mean, people are showing up no matter who plays. Yeah, I think – I mean, I think, they're selling out Cleveland Brown games, for God's sake. I think the only guy in the NFL you could say that about is probably Patrick Mahomes. No. I mean, if you're looking at a guy that – anyone. I mean, I agree with you about Brady. No. I think Brady was the guy. Peyton Manning, but no one in the NFL right now, most uh, Patrick likely. Mahomes is not must-see TV in every town he goes to. I think he's great. He's incredible, but I don't – you think he's a star? In the NFL, he's a star for sure. Compared to Tom Brady? I mean – He's People gonna, who don't watch football know who Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. Is. I, I think I think once Brady's gone, I think they're gonna they'll push more Mahomes okay. than, than ever before. Patrick Mahomes has not is not hosted Saturday Night Live. No, Peyton Manning not, has. Peyton Manning <laughs> and Tom Brady. You got to you got to get when we're talking. LeBron James is a star. Tiger Woods is a star. People who don't watch their sport know who they are. People who don't watch sports know who they are. I think if you don't watch the NFL, you do not know who Patrick Mahomes is. I think a good guy for baseball. You're mentioning Bonds and you're you're, you're getting over it. Do you think people who don't watch football know Patrick Mahomes? Most likely not. Outside been, of Kansas City, they might have heard the name, but they which don't. is a small market. How, how would somebody who doesn't watch sports know who Patrick Mahomes is? Marketing in the NFL does. If you're not, a, but if you don't watch the NFL, you won't know. You might have heard his name in passing before, but you can't go. He's number fifteen on the Chiefs. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot of, there's probably not a star player like that in the NFL. Like the NBA has with LeBron. We're gonna or, call my wife. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. We're gonna call my wife. I'm gonna prove a point here. <laughs> <clears throat> see, this is the reason why I got out of sports talk. Let's see if she answers. Normally, we would have to tell her we're calling legally. Come on! You don't pick up! It's okay for her to call you during the show, though, right? Yeah, is it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She calls me, oh, I didn't realize. I didn't realize. Uh, my point, the reason why I'm calling my wife, I bet my wife has no idea who it is. And NFL plays in the background of her house All every all the time. She I might, watch a lot you of might, You might get be, be surprised because of the Chiefs and the Raiders playing. I guarantee she has no idea. I, I'm just more surprised she's not answering the phone. <laughs> yeah. How about that? You call me all the time during the show. Oh, uh, that's twice. All right, we'll have to prove this point later. I'll but. prove it later. Yeah. But that's – that's. I I don't know – I don't – I, I can listen. We we listened to Sirius XM the whole way up today. 
no, no one can put a price on it. No one can put, um, what is it worth? What is he worth? All right, prospects. Well, players, Bob, players who are in the big leagues now who are controllable. What's he worth? Bob Nightingale mentioned this to Buster Olney earlier on his podcast. I, if you want to hear it, uh, check it out. Um, but Bob, I don't know how accurate these numbers are. These are the numbers Bob threw out to Buster. The Angels would lose somewhere between twenty and twenty-five million dollars in sponsors, and they have to cut a check because if they lost Otani because of all the sponsorships Otani gives them. And he's just speculating. Yeah, we don't know what the actual number I mean, is. There's a big difference between twenty and thirty million dollars. Yeah, my yeah. my yeah. math says ten million. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about we're talking about money that an organization makes that they potentially we don't know what they make. They potentially make the A's payroll off of him, just to put it in our own little world. Like, Dave Stewart's going to be on today. I can't wait to talk to Stu. Like, Stu, what's this guy? Stu's got an idea since he ran the Diamondbacks. You know, you have an idea of what a player I – mean, Soto is worth only to, to me. Juan Soto to me, I don't know if I've ever seen him interviewed. Um, I've seen him do stuff like post game, like like games in the World Series. Does he uh, have an interpreter? No, he speaks English. Like, I don't. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen him do enough, but he was speaking English in the interview he did. Was it good? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's not like perfect, but do you see what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't have any. This guy is so great. He has no. Does he have any national sponsors? Not that I know of. Like, how are you gonna? How are you gonna? You can't even compare Otani to this. And it's not like Otani's 33 and we're like, ah, he's on his last legs. He's only 28. To me, Otani morphs into the John Smoltz starter to reliever. Now, I mean, he could easily hit and close games. I mean, once you learn to adapt as a reliever, you're, you're, you're ready to go every day. You, you, uh, give me 10, 12 pitches, I'm ready to go. I mean, you don't sit down there and warm up and do all that. I mean, to me, Otani will – morph into a late-inning bullpen guy, and and now, you know, this just allows him to DH full-time, and then he can go down and warm up in the bullpen. I, 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 I really – to me, that's where his value long-term – because his offense, we now know you cannot take him out of the lineup. No, for sure, and he's been pitching so well. Like, I'll give you a couple – But he's never going to give me volume. No, he's 17 starts this year, and we talked about on the way up here. If he makes a start with the next – there's like, what, two, a little over two months left. The last game's October 6th, I believe, for the A's. That's the end of the regular season, and let's uh, – I mean, I'll say right now, the Angels aren't making the postseason. They're 22 and a half games out of first. So I don't think they're going to make the postseason. Well, but and this is one of the reasons why I wonder if they're floating this out, and, and this is something that I've said, is – do they view the fact of the inconsistency that has been with him with an injury, having to have a six-man rotation to protect him? All right, here we go, finally. All right. All right, hold on. Are you there? All right, you are live on the air. I'm just asking you a question. You ready? Do you know who Patrick Mahomes is? Love you. Happy anniversary. Bye. <laughs> See, this 
is why, even though I brought him from sports radio, this is why I got out of sports radio. Because sports radio people, they don't know business. They don't understand the real world. Their lens is sports. Like, when you talk to a sports radio person, they'll go, hey, did you hear on the show today? Sports radio people really think that everybody in the Bay Area is listening to their show. I know everybody was never listening to my show. Because I see ratings. I understand ratings. <laughs> see, sports people, sports radio people, they don't even understand the ratings that they're judged by. They don't understand business. They're, they're just Here's a great example. This guy just tried to sell you Patrick Mahomes was an everyday star. My wife is the number one person advertisers want to get to. She's a middle-aged white woman who shops for everything. She shops for groceries she shops for all the household stuff she's the number one buyer her people like her buy more products amazon wants her grocery stores want to advertise to her she is exactly what everybody wants to advertise to she's it a woman in her 40s who spends money who who else spends more than her not many i would say my wife because you want to retract that patrick mahomes is a star uh, kind of, but I'll say I'll give you what you always say to me. She's an outlier. That's only one. Small no, she's sam- not. Small sample size. She's she's reality. There's more women than men in this world. That's a fact. There's she she's exactly. If I go to I I bet you I could go to all my wife's friends who by the way all they do is shop and spend <laughs> money and guarantee none of them will know who Patrick Mahomes is. See, I guess it's a difference. My wife knows who Mahomes is, so my wife wouldn't. I, you can't. Well, she's also not. Middle-aged. Well, and I guess she is, but I don't know. Do you count 33 as middle-aged? Nah, not yet. Yeah we're, yeah, we're not there yet. We're we're getting there. Yeah, I'm telling you right now. Like, Steph Curry? Maybe. Yeah, I would say maybe. In the Bay Area? Ma- oh, the Bay, Bay Area, for yes. sure. But around the country? Maybe. Like, Michael Jordan? You, you, to be on this level of, of, uh, of human being, like, everybody in Japan knows who Shohei Otani is. Oh, one hundred percent. It's like, a full country behind him. Yeah, it's like Ichiro. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I saw Ichiro's last game. I've seen the power of one man in a country. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes ain't there. Do you think Derek Jeter? Everyone would know. I'm saying this because the, the the captain's airing on ESPN has actually been very good. It's so good they had Michael Jordan on it last night. Okay, put it this way: Derek Jeter, because of his lifestyle and that he played for the Yankees, and the lifestyle of dating famous people puts you in the realm that my wife would see it, to where Alex Rodriguez, while he was a player, you know, married through a good part of it. You know, Alex Rodriguez got more popular dating J-Lo than he ever did as a baseball player. I was going to say, the J-Lo thing definitely helped. (laughs) Now do you see my point about life? Yeah. You can't look at it. You can't look at life. And I, I know I'm getting off on a total tangent here. But you can't get, you can't. You can't judge life through sports guys. You know, sports guys watch sport. I'm, we're sitting here watching MLB Network, right? We have no life. See, I but I understand the business. I, J-Lo made A-Rod. Even though A-Rod's made over $300 million in his career, he's Twice. rich. He's, he's like, <laughs> he's, he's, I think after, boy, how much does he think he's made? Well, what, his first. I remember con- taxes and well, everything. Well, let's say his first contract was 252 The next one was 275 So there's already. Well, he lost like 30-something of that. Yeah. I More was, than thirty. I would say then. he made at least four fifty. And to baseball people, yeah, A Rod's a big deal. 
wasn't until like my kids wouldn't know who A Rod is until he started dating J Lo. Uh, yeah, uh, that's when you get into real celebrity. Maybe that's the way to put it. Not star celebrity. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. You could never watch one basketball game in the United States of America and people know who Michael Jordan is. According to Baseball Reference, four hundred forty-one million for A Rod. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is somebody everybody knows, even though you've never watched golf. Yeah, I think any more. Worldwide. Tiger's worldwide. Yeah, Tiger more is what's happened off the course than on, but you're going to know who he he is. Tiger was a worldwide phenomenon, and his commercials ran. That's the thing. Jordan and Tiger, like Jordan and Tiger's commercials, ran just not on sports stuff. They were on national television commercials, so they were everywhere. And that's what – so it's like, who who would you rather have? Would you rather have Juan Soto or Shohei Otani? Not based on what they've done. Because that's one thing that I think the biggest mistake that MLB Network was making last night when they were putting up, oh, this is what Otani's done since the start of 2021. That's great. But I'm getting him now and for the future. Right? Whatever Soto's done, doesn't matter. I'm getting him for the future. What am I going to be paying for once he's my employee? I'm, I don't care what he did as your employee, right? Would you care what someone did for somebody? I got. I yeah. care about what I, I'm going to pay him now. Yeah, I want my return on investment from you when you're with me, not with my R O I. See, I know business. Well, you learned it here. Where, where, where are uh, where are you going with that? Who would you rather have? Well, I told you, I'd still rather have Otani because he. Not if you if you add in the baseball acumen and what he can do on the on the diamond, it's what he can do off. Generating money for you, sponsorships, revenue, streaming numbers. One if Juan Soto. What am I going to say here? Juan Soto. He's twenty-three. World I Series mean, champion already. I mean, legitly could probably play to late thirties. Yeah, I mean, you get, I mean, he already has more uh, walks and hits already this year, and it's probably he's going to walk a lot. He's got. He's so gonna, he, you're, you're you're probably going to have to give him another contract. Yeah, but it, it'll be in his late thirties. By well, no. If it's a if you give him a ten year deal, you give him a new contract when he's thirty four. Yeah, yeah, because he's gonna be free agent at twenty six. And I didn't throw out the part. What also makes Juan Soto so fascinating is that someone could trade for him now, use him up for a year or two, and then flip him again. So he could be he could be flipped once or even twice. Yeah, before sure. he gets. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline that monster contract the blummer have a seat we now uh have you been on since we do this now on, uh? I, I sit for 48 hours a night I well, feel like. well we got to see in the camera oh. now because now you're on youtube you're on twitter i haven't even put my makeup on yet 
A guy like you doesn't need makeup, for God's sakes. You're you're young, good looking. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a driver driver's license that'll disprove that. <laughs> no, I'm good. How are you doing? I I've been down here once. I think it, was, it wasn't last series. It was the series before that. So how are uh, how are things with the Strohs? It's ridiculous. No, I I I I love my job. I have a very good job. You and I have great jobs because we get to sit in the sun and talk about baseball. But the fact that I I, I watch a team that just goes out and dismantles other teams is amazing to me because they're, they're, I don't know. It, we always talk about can these guys flip the switch? Can they turn it on? And we saw it a month ago when they went through New York and uh, swept the New York Mets at home, and then they beat up. They took two out of four. Could have been four out of four in New York against the Yankees. And then coming out of the break, they had the Seattle Mariners who won a 14-game winning streak, and they go in there and sweep them and and just dispose of them, put them 13 games back in second place, and it's just out of the question now. It's amazing to me what these guys can do. And we got to give you the proper introduction, the, the, the great Cal Bear, <laughs> the World Series hero, now doing television for the Houston Astros. The only reason I'm on TV is because I went to Cal. Or that big home run in the World well, Series. I mean, that, you, you that, gotta, you that, that didn't a, hurt. Yeah, they set you up for that, so I appreciate it. I mean, every single time. <laughs> actually, we're going to be in Chicago starting Friday, so we'll get to see your statue. Yeah, go by and check that thing out. It's pretty cool. That doesn't suck. Does it, it doesn't suck. No. <laughs> uh, if I ever get in an argument, you know, on Twitter or my kids, you know, my kids start wearing me out, I'm going, hey, when you get a statue, you can come back and talk to me, okay? Until then, Dad's, Dad's winning this fight. Do you ever go out to it? Oh, yeah. I want, uh, you know when uh, the buses drop us off, what is it, in that left field corner and you got to walk around the, you know, I still know a ton of people there, so it's even yeah. better when you get to go through there and high-five, hug, and see how everybody's doing. But you, the media elevators going up are in the lobby of it, behind home plate, and, you know, there's just a quick little lean and look out the window and go, yep, still there, you know. So I, I don't go physically out there and, like, grope it or polish it or anything I like would. that. I <laughs> would. I'd be doing selfies with it. Yeah. Hey, that's me. Yeah, check me out twice. Uh. Yeah. No, I just I, – I just, just a little peek and remind myself that that actually happened. So the A's go into Houston before the break, have a nice little series. Yeah. Houston comes out of the break. Wow. I mean, as you just said, I, you know – is this at this point? We got a long way to go, but yeah. there's been a lot of great Astros teams. Would you put this maybe the best Astros team you've seen? So coming out of camp, I would not have. Now I think you have to consider it, and we're still ahead of the the trade deadline. I, and I feel like James Click is going to make a move to actually make this team better, which is hard to believe. But that being said, I still believe. 2019's team statistically was the best team I've ever called for the Houston Astros in the last 10 years. They 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 set the win record I think at 107 that year. Yeah. They didn't win the World Series. I think they were six outs away from winning that World Series before the Nationals beat them. But having uh, you know Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and the way they were closing out games and that offense just putting up prodigious numbers with Correa and Springer still in that lineup. I was blown away at how good they were. But then you watch what these guys are able to do, and they don't have the same kind of firepower either in the rotation or in that lineup, and they still go out and find ways to win. I think it's just a credit to who those guys are in that clubhouse because no matter who's who's added or subtracted, you know, they lost Jordan for 10 days, and they still go out and score runs and find ways to, you know, scratch out wins. They, they win more than the 2019 team, but at the same time, you know, statistically 2019 was a better team. And I just read something today that the Astros' win record currently right now is tied for the same record they had at this time after 96 games in 2017, and that's on pace for 108 wins. 
coming down here, just getting ready for this game, I, I saw in the athletic the question was asked, you know, what do the Astros need? And the only answer was, well, they need a left-handed reliever for the playoffs because you don't have one <laughs> yeah. right now. I mean, which is big. Yeah. Obviously, you need that. Yep. But, you know, that's good news when all you need is a left-handed reliever. You can go find that. But would you agree that's what this team needs? It, so the thing is, it, you know, with the Astros, and, you know, we've all played that armchair GM. What can we go do? And I think the idea is how do I make my team better? You know, and I think the Astros getting a left-handed pitcher that would be better than a Phil Maton, better than a Ryan Stanek, better than a Hector Neris or a Rafael Montero, then, yeah, I might go out there and try and get them. I don't know how hard that is or which guys are available, but if I can have something similar that is left-handed to some of those right-handed pitchers, then I might go get them. If he's an upgrade, hey, that'd be great. But, you know, that that that's just a credit to they actually have. They've been pitching without a left-handed pitcher in their bullpen for about three months now and they figured out how to go out there and get it. But I think the idea of getting that left-handed reliever would actually alleviate some of the pressure that is on Ryan Stenick, Phil Maton, Hector Neris, because then instead of having to use them in that you know, in that matchup scenario in the sixth, seventh inning, you could actually push those guys back a little bit and make the back end of your bullpen a little bit better. That's what a left-handed pitcher would do for the Astros. I'm not going to say it's overrated, but if you have a bunch of righties that got great numbers against lefties, do you have to have it? No, that's why I'm saying it. You know, if you if you're going to make that trade or you're going to make that adjustment, don't make the move just because you want to have you want to be able to write a, left, a name into that left-handed column in the bullpen. Put that name in there if he's actually going to be an upgrade and enhance what you already have. He's got to be better, like I said, than those guys that are out there right now. I don't think just going out there and finding a guy who who's having a mediocre year that can give you a couple, of, give you an inning or find you some matchups. I don't think that's worth it. I think it's got to be worth your while to make you better as a team. Well, you know it's like to win a World Series, and it's really, really hard, and it's yeah. really, really special, and so many things have to come together. But there's something about this team that every single year, whether they end up in the World Series or the ALCS, they're there, and you can take guys out. I mean, it's like Correa's gone. Don't worry. you got Pena now. We're all talking about Julio Rodriguez as the super rookie, and Pena goes yard again. Mm-hmm. He's only two home runs away from, from Julio. I know. It, it's amazing. And that was one of the big questions. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen to this team? Because Carlos Correa is dynamic on the field, both as a, as a hitter and as a defender. That was my biggest thing is this pitching staff has been great for the last five, six years because their defense has been so good. So you lose a gold platinum glover in Carlos Correa. You're like, how do you replace that? And they go out and they've had Carlos – I mean, they've had Jeremy Pena in their system now for, what, three, four years. They've developed him. He understands the situation. And what a better place to move into a, into a lineup where there's no pressure on you. He's hitting two-hole, but he's not a guy that you're saying, oh, my gosh, if he doesn't get a hit, we're never going to win this game. He's just a guy – he's a complimentary piece right now that happens to be a superstar caliber type player. So if he's able to go out there and play consistent defense, turn the double plays when you need them, and get that occasional big hit – uh, he, he's a bonus, but it's amazing that they're able to plug him in, and I think it's a credit to what James Click has done. I also think it, people are going to hate this, but if you go back to what Jeff Luno did in accruing enough talent to have this kind of depth to have an organization that I think could be considered a dynasty over six, seven years, you got to give those guys a lot of credit for accruing the talent. And then you have the development people, all the coaches, all the scouts, everybody that said these guys are worthwhile inside our organization, those guys deserve a lot of credit too because by the time Jeremy Pena types get here, the expectation is to win, not to go out and get awards, to win, and that's what these guys do. Well, you know, it's funny when people rank organizations and it's usually like something that clickbait for the offseason. And, I mean, oh, the Astros are like 27th. 
the Astros just keep bringing guys up. Yeah. And it, 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 you probably don't want to hear this either, but back in A-ball, they've got some absolutely ridiculous power arms that they're trying to develop right now. So if those guys aren't on the on the table thinking about being traded, there's there's a future in those guys too. When the, Eventually, someday, when Justin Verlander decides to move on, you have other arms in the organization that are being pushed along and developed to fill those voids. You know, during the po- during our post-game show, all people call me up and they go, well, you got to, you know, you got to tank, you got to do it like the Astros. I'm like, you know, you got to understand. Yeah. That tank draft was a long that, – that time was a long time ago. Not everybody – Arduous process, too. Oh, my gosh, well, Mark yeah. Appel didn't work out. Uh, Not all those guys worked misses. out. Shoot, yeah. There were some guys that didn't even sign. Uh, there, there was that left-handed pitcher. I can't remember his name, but he was a huge draft pick, and they couldn't convince him to come out and, and sign with the Astros. He ended up having elbow surgery, so you're missing – you're missing. You have the appell that missed. You have a couple of other guys that just didn't even sign. So yeah. So let's stop talking about that because that's not Altuve. Anybody could have had him. Jordan yeah. Alvarez was no one even knew about that dra- with that with uh, that trade with the Dodgers. So my whole point is this team now. Yeah. What we see in 2020 is not built off tanking. No. And, and it's a it's you know what else we didn't talk about is the uh, international signings. Ozzo Campo, who works with the Houston Astros, he he's. So every Latin pitcher in our rotation, Javier Garcia, Urquidy, Framber Valdez, he single-handedly searched those guys out and found them, I don't want to say on the scrap heap, but they were definitely overlooked by a ton of other organizations. And I think Urquidy may have gotten the most money, maybe a hundred grand. The other guys were like between ten and $40,000 to sign them to a, a minor league contract. And here they are, nurtured. One of them's going to the All-Star game. The other three are filling out a five-man rotation for the Houston Astros. It's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 how you keep going yeah. to the ALCS, if not the World Series, all these years. And then the other day, so with Verlander starts, I always go back and they and MLB.com will give you a synopsis of the of the strikeouts <laughs> and everything. He hit ninety nine a couple times. Like what? Yeah, we, we old sit in Verlander the booth. Yeah. at thirty nine years old is back to like he was in Detroit. I I don't know what. Yeah, there there is so. I don't know if anybody remembers a $6 million man. But, you know, he just kind of yeah. like got beat up, sent away. All of a sudden he comes back and he can Lee do anything. Majors. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, he's our version of Lee Majors or Benjamin Button or whatever you want to call this guy because he disappeared for two years with that Tommy John surgery. And he comes back and he's putting up Cy Young-type numbers. And what's crazy to me is that the last time he was actually physically on a field other than that opening day start in 2020 when he got the injury, 2019 he was the Cy Young Award winner. So he is he has not missed a beat. He's just he, he went on vacation and got Tommy John surgery, as crazy as it sounds, and got better. But he said something after that game that you're talking about where he touched 98, 99 a couple of times. He, he said, I'm finally, I finally think I'm to the point where I can let it eat. And can you imagine sitting in other clubhouses around the American League realizing you have a couple, maybe a potential matchup against this guy and you're going, oh, great. This guy's got a turbo slider now and now he's back to 99? It's unreal. It's, it, it's the 2009 to 2013 range in his life. The way his ball stays up in the zone, obviously how tall he is, where he releases it, but it's like it defies gravity. And just to get on top of that as a hitter, I can't imagine. I mean, mean, he was dominating with it with 95, 96 on a great day. Now if he's back to doing it 98, 99, I don't know how you get on top of that. And, you know, it literally defies gravity. You know, there is a, there, there are Christian Javier's in the rotation. Jake Odorizzi is a guy tonight, too, that creates a little deception at 92, 93 and still gets swings and miss at the top of the zone. 
And here at the Astros organization, they've done everything with all of the technology and all the video and everything that they can do to track and just enhance what pitchers are doing. As far as, like you're saying, the height of the release, how far out in front they can release, how long they can leave their fingers on the baseball until they snap that off their fingers and let that thing release towards home plate is what creates that spin rate, and they teach that here with the Houston Astros. I think that's something that JV and uh, Christian Javier and these guys have really done a good job of studying video and all the technology and realizing that they can extend that arm a little bit further and hold on to that baseball a little bit longer. It makes it tougher for the hitter to see, but it also increases that spin rate where that pitch will not it, – it, it won't gravitate towards the earth. It will actually just – plane out and flatten out. That's why you see so many swings underneath it. And to your point, if you're a hitter facing a guy like that, if you don't get your hands above the baseball to start, you've got no chance of competing with that. It's going to be a pop-up or a strikeout. you got to be like John Crock. Yeah, start for your real. Hands up here. No, that's exactly right. Just get those hands up there and just and just wave at it if you can. But, man, start the hands high. Craig I, Council? I know I'm not supposed to say this, but I, 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 I'm rooting for Verlander because in our lifetime – Yeah. He's yes. going to be the last guy. We were so used to it as kids. Oh, this guy. Tom Seaver just got 300. Yeah. We saw, oh, here it's Maddox. Now it's Glavin. It's Randy Johnson. He did it over with the Giants. It's like we've seen 300 win pitchers throughout all these years, and now you're looking at nobody's got a shot but him. He's like, in our lifetime, he's our last shot to see it. No, I completely agree. Him and Max Scherzer are the two guys that are kind of the throwbacks for us that we can actually compare those guys to the Randy Johnsons, the Kurt Schillings, you know, the Greg Maddoxes, and those guys can actually go out there and complete seven innings, eight innings potentially, and have those high strikeout numbers because right now it's a battle between Max Scherzer and Verlander on who they're passing in that career strikeout number, you know, 3,100-plus strikeouts, and these guys keep moving past. I think Verlander's got Bob Gibson. He passed Bob Gibson the other day. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I find the fun in it for me. I'm going, man, we get to call, talk about these guys again and how dominant they yeah. were. And like you said, in my memory, Bob Gibson was the greatest pitcher of all time, and here's Justin Verlander creeping past him. So I agree that, you know, in the future – after the Verlanders, after the Scherzers, and some of these other guys, you know, the Hall of Fame is going to have to adjust some of their numbers to see who gets into the Hall of Fame because I don't think, like you said, they're going to get to those plateaus of 3,000 hits and 500-plus home runs and, and, and you know, 300 wins. I mean, that seems out of the question, especially when you're only going five, six innings a night. All right, so everybody's talking Juan Soto. And since everybody's talking <laughs> Juan Soto and being an old radio guy, I know in our business it's about – Play the hits. Yeah. I'll wait. If you got a top song, you keep playing it. <laughs> so I figured out a way to get the A's involved. Really? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I call it Flip This House. Yeah. So what happens is is I buy a house for $2 million, mm-hmm. and then later I flip it for $3.3 million. I yep. made a million three. So I've, I've figured out a way to get the A's involved. We're not going to keep them long because we're going to flip it. Yeah. But Why I, wouldn't you? I just start thinking about he is so unique. Because of his age, yes. his controllability, before you actually have to pay him this supposedly 500-something million, <laughs> I mean, whether you want to be a team that wants to bring him in, pay him that contract, or be a team, bring him in for his services, and then you flip him mm-hmm. to recoup all the prospects and say, hey, thanks for the job. Thanks for helping us win the World Series. See you later. Let someone else pay you. I mean, it's so unique because he's 23. Yeah. There's so many variables of uh, who could get him and how you'd use him. Yeah, well, what if you what if you did what you're talking about? You just leverage your entire farm system to bring this guy into your team, and he comes out and he has a better year than he's having right now. And his peak or his value goes up even more. 
and then you get that return that you're talking about, yeah. and all of a sudden you have a whole new franchise because of one guy that you're able to bring in. But I think that's kind of the uniqueness of what, uh, you know, the position that Juan Soto's in because I was talking to a buddy, and I'm like, man, could you imagine being in the clubhouse with Juan Soto when you just shut down $440 million? I'd be sitting next to him going, dude, you're going that good? And then I'd be like, so what would you counteroffer with? Because <laughs> I want to know what the next number was. Was it 10 years, $400 million? Like, I don't want to play 15. I want to play 10 more. Just go ahead and put a big old number on it. But it's, it's going to be incredible because you talked about the club control. Because even if you didn't want to give them that contract, you could just pay them at the arbitration number, which is going to be ridiculous. But at the same time, you could be able to flip them. Oh, yeah, he wants me to ask, Cody wants me to ask you about that Castellanos, the dumb question. That's a dumb question, man. You know what I, you, what are we doing? as a media guy, I want, can we respond when they have a bad answer? Like your former yeah. player, can I respond? That's a dumb answer. Yeah, well, that's a clown question, bro. Yeah. I mean, how come we didn't go back to that? I mean, <laughs> Bryce Harper's in the clubhouse somewhere, isn't he? I mean, what's it like to be booed? Why didn't he, he should have just turned around and booed the reporter for the question and asked him, how did that feel? It feels terrible, and of course you're hearing it. But why do you have – why is that – is that a journalistic question? Are you going out there and going, hey, man, did you hear the booze? What, 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 what answer are you looking for in return? That's something that's been going on in the East Coast. Well, Philadelphia, the man. Philadelphia oh, New York, Boston, they've yeah. always been booing their guys. Yeah. I mean, Philadelphia booed Mike Schmidt, for God's sake. You know what I would have said? I would have, Especially in Philadelphia, if they're not booing me, they don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, I mean, if they care enough about me to boo me, they care. They better care enough about me to produce. And when I do, they better cheer, me, cheer their brains out. But, yeah, I mean, but pointing your finger and taking your mask off and yelling at a guy, I mean, we need, there's got to be a little bit of a limit to that thing. All right, take your Astros hat off, and you can't, you can't, you can't buy stock in the Astros. Okay. Can't buy stock in the Yankees. Okay. Right? Because they're the two front runners. Yep. Who then would you buy stock in to represent the American League in the World Series? Blue Jays. Wow. They scare me. They, they scare, offensively, they scare me. They're not the me. baby Jays anymore. No, Kevin Gossman, I like Kevin Gossman in pressure, pressure situations. I think his stuff plays against a lot of these lineups uh, that we're talking about. And I think they've underachieved a little bit. But we're starting to see flashes of what they can do offensively when they're healthy. The only thing that might be a question mark, maybe a little bit of defense, because I'm not sold on Bo Bichette as, as my, my starting shortstop. I know he's hyper-athletic, but the, really? incons the inconsistencies yeah. at defense kind of get to me a little bit. That's just me being greedy. That's all that is. But I think that they, they're, they're a little frightening to me because you're going to have guys on that team who have experience in the postseason and have the pedigree that could actually go out there and shock the hell out of somebody in a short series, ambush them, put up some big numbers, and really go out there and do some damage. So, for me, it's the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't The AL West, other than the Astros, nobody. The American League Central, I mean, do the Guardians really scare you? Do the Twins really scare you? No. Nope. No, the Blue Jays, for me, are the team. Tampa Bay is always going to compete, but I think the Blue Jays have that kind of shock factor in their offense could actually surprise you and beat you up a little bit, and all of a sudden you're on your heels going, wait, we got one game before we're eliminated? That's interesting. I like it. All right, so rebuilt the studio at yeah. my house. It's now a multimedia TV Good slash radio, right? And so we got this killer set, Yep. and we got – all these old school bobbleheads for A's and all this stuff, but what we're doing is we're getting special stuff okay. for for the teams in our division who we play a lot. So we've got Cody was just in Texas. We got the Nolan Ryan bobblehead. Oh, good. We have the uh, 
Not not the uh, what, what, what's Seattle now? Truist. What is their bank now? T-Mobile. There? T-Mobile. T-Mobile. Yeah. We have a Safeco Field snow globe. Oh, nice. Where the roof goes back and forth. <laughs> so nice. we're getting stuff that represents all the teams we play, and yep. we're like, Blummer, you're one of our favorite guests of all time. Yeah. We need something that represents you on the set. Can you just have a jersey hanging in the back row with my name and number on it? No, we can't too much. Do that. it's too yeah, much. I don't have. I wasn't good enough to have a bobblehead or anything. Cal like that. didn't do a bobblehead for Are you. Are you kidding me? No way, man. You're one of the Cal greats. Oh no, my. Do you see my picture out there in left fielder on the wall? Nope. What the hell's the problem with Cal? You should. I know. Didn't you get to the College World Series? I uh, yeah. Yeah, kind of a big deal, yeah, right? It was kind of a big deal. Starting shortstop at 18, man. I was a punk back then, but I was living the dream. Well, we need something. Well, I guess you come up, you come up with something, and I'll make it happen. Because something I've got, Astros, yeah. something well, we can put on I the I know desk. that you would love. You, <laughs> there's probably your, your fans who listen. You know they're going to probably have this. some creative ideas, but I'm not going <laughs> to go with them. And I know it's not going to be, it's not going to be an Oscar <laughs> the Grouch doll if you get it. And it's not going to be a Jose Altuve. Maybe something with Jordan on it because they've, they've got Jordan, uh, pretty good Jordan uh, bobblehead that I thought I thought was pretty entertaining because he's in the Space City uniform, that new City Connect uniform yeah. that looks kind of cool. But the funniest thing about this Jordan Alvarez bobblehead is he's jumping up to make a catch. That's not happening. <laughs> well, don't hurt your knees. Well, don't I was going to say once every like three years maybe, and he made a great catch in Minnesota, but it's just funny that they put Jordan Alvarez making a great catch when this dude is hitting 470-foot tanks every every other day, it feels he's like. He's not that bad in left. No, he he's 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 definitely playable, and he's sneaky fast. He's actually he's pretty good to the baseball, sneaky good arm, but, yeah, he's, he's serviceable out there, especially when you're playing at Minute Maid Park where it's a short porch. Well, I just think about the young talent in our division. It's just, wow, now with Julio Rodriguez in Seattle. And that guy's th- awesome. Alvarez, what, 25? Yeah. Yeah, think about that. He's 25. Yeah, 25. Pena's 23, 24. Yeah, yeah. the young talent is, is unbelievable. Well, thank you for stopping by. We always oh, appreciate Tony, it. It's always But good. that's what I'm saying. You're one of our favorites, so we got to have you represented <laughs> on, on the set. I appreciate that. I, I have a cow hockey puck at home. I mean, I've got all kinds of cow stuff. Send us something, funky. whatever yeah. that represents. I'll work you. on something. I got to be creative with it so it sticks out when you show your home and studio. You're, and you're the only you're the only Astro our fans can't hate because you're a cow bear. I'm holding on to that equity as long as I possibly can <laughs> because you know as much as I love being an Astro broadcaster, I know it comes with a certain you know stigma yeah. attached to it. But at the same time, you know where my heart lies. You are the man right here in Thank the Bay. Thank you so much. Yep, appreciate you. And it's an honor to bring Henry on as we get to learn about a future outfielder for the Oakland Athletics. First of all, congratulations and welcome to the Oakland Athletics. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. You know, it's just it's a beautiful day out. You know. Couldn't, couldn't be happier where I'm at right now. Think about how cool that is that you get drafted by a team in the Bay Area where everybody gets to enjoy and the future could be here for your family. Absolutely. Super excited. I mean, I think that's one of the, the more special things, having my family here and being able to have them come watch me whenever they want, whether it's in Stockton or hopefully in a, in a couple of years out here, you know, at the Coliseum. So take us through the process. It looks like you're committed to the University of Texas. You get drafted by the A's. Why decide to sign with the A's and not go to college? Um, I think, you know, Texas was a huge opportunity and and a great one also. You know, playing college baseball is a huge thing. But since I was a little kid, I always wanted to play in the big leagues. And honestly, growing up as as an A's fan, this is the first, first game I ever came to was here. And so... Wanted to get my, my professional career started, and what better place to do it than in Oakland? Who was your favorite A growing up? Oh, 
I loved Coco Crisp for a little bit, and then uh, as I uh, got got a little bit older and more recently, Matt Chapman and Matt Olson were fun to watch. You know, they did a lot of special stuff out on the field. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when you look up here and you see Hall of Famers and you think of guys like Reggie Jackson and you think about the tradition and the, the field's name after Ricky Henderson as an outfielder, you're talking about some of the greatest outfielders of all time have worn this uniform. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's that goes back to the excitement of playing for such a historic team like this, you know. It doesn't get much better than the A's in terms of the history and the people that have come through here. It's an unbelievable opportunity to put on the, uh, the A's jersey. So how often did you come to games here in Oakland? A lot more when I was younger, and I, I tried to through when I got a little bit older. During COVID, I, I stopped coming out a little bit more. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I not not saying I was here at every game, but if I were to come to a game, it would be at the Coliseum over the uh, AT&T. A's fans love hearing that, by the way. We Absolutely. love that. Um, yeah, COVID, just knowing, and we were just talking to Jeff Blum about this because his kids are in high school. My kids are in high school right now. And, you know, it's such a strange time because you lost a year really of school, not not losing a year from the standpoint of, of doing your work, but just socializing and having a high school life. And I know it changed baseball too, obviously. Um, I live in San Jose, so I know how the requirements were in Santa Clara County. It was not easy. Just take us through that time because, obviously, it was good that you signed with Texas, but you didn't have maybe the same amount of games that other kids had in other states. Yeah, I mean, I think losing that time on the field to get reps in was it was kind of a tough loss for myself. And like you said, Santa Clara County was a little bit rough, but it was a huge, huge opportunity for me to get in the weight room and kind of get more physical and improve my game any way that I could. So I thought that, you know, why not? take every step to get better because you, you're either going to get better or worse during that time and so actually COVID was a, was a huge help in terms of my uh, path towards getting to Texas and now ultimately sitting here. Yeah I'll tell you a lot of the high school kids they don't have the guns you got you have been working oh, out. Only a little bit. They, <laughs> You've been they, getting they gave going. me a smaller shirt yeah. <laughs> well you get the smaller shirt makes you look bigger yeah, right? It's, it's, it's a sneaky trick. What was it uh, like taking BP on this field? Oh, it's it's unbelievable. You know, any ch- any chance you get out to get to a big league ballpark and take batting practice. It's the first time taking batting practice with big leaguers, though, so it's a yeah unbelievable experience. You know, this is I I've had an unbelievable day so far, and, and you know, it's just it's been amazing. So hitting, I I keep hitting if they let me, but I you know we got they got a game to play, so. Well, Stephen Voter, I saw come over. I'm sure you watched him growing up. Uh, what was that like, Voter coming up and introducing himself to uh-huh. you? And I'm sure the other players, it's got to mean a lot. Yeah, I, it's one of those more surreal things, you know, when you watch someone on TV or, or you come to games and see him play as a, as a fan and then meeting them as just a, a regular person. You know, it's, it's an unbelievable thing. And he's a great dude and, and obviously had have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge to share. And I think just meeting these people and learning from them is a huge thing. And then... I'll take as much time around big leaguers as I can get. So it's a it's an unbelievable thing. You know, the one thing about moving the draft back and really making it this big event to go along with the Futures game and the All-Star game and Home Run Derby is the fact that you're signing later. Years past, it would have been June. You'd already be playing by now. Uh, what's the expectation for you? What are they telling you? Where are you going to go? Because I'm sure you want to start playing like tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I was ready to play yesterday, but uh, – I'm going out tomorrow morning. I'm flying out to Arizona, so I'll, I'll get out to the complex and, and get rolling with the rest of the guys who just got drafted. And I, 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 the downtime was nice, but I, I've been ready to play, so I'm, I'm super pumped to get out there, and I'm just going to go out and compete the minute I get out there, so I'm super excited for that. Give us a scouting report because I, I got one on you here. Big power, speed combination. You tell us, self-scouting, who are you as a player? I'm a guy who's going to play play with a lot of energy and play hard out there, so – 
any free 90 I can get kind of running hard down the line on the ground ball, stealing bases. I think that's a huge thing that you don't see a ton in the game anymore. And I, it's something that I take pride in. And I have a lot of fun. And then, you know, I like to do damage in the box. And so I try to hit the ball hard and then get running. And so bring that to the outfield too, run the ball down and, and really just play with a lot of high energy. What's your favorite position? Center field, for sure. I love it. Yeah. Go get it. Oh, yeah. Go get it. Throw guys out. It's a lot of fun. And that's the one thing that we always loved about Coco is Coco, I mean, Coco played reckless out there. I mean, he threw his body around. And if you grew up a big Coco fan, you watched him rob home runs. And now we see it with Ramon Laureano. Hopefully, Christian Pache will, will be one of these guys. There's just there's something special. Like, what you do offensively is always so key, but – Playing out here and being able to rob home runs and being that athletic guy is something special. Obviously, you have to see yourself as one of those type, types of players. Absolutely. That's a, that's a reason why I love center field is, is you not only get to impact the game on offense, like you said, producing and doing damage, but you can really take away runs on the defensive side. So you have a lot more chances to go get the ball and make things happen defensively as well as offensively. Family here today? Yeah, I got my, uh, my sister, my, my, my brother, or my sister, my dad, and my mom. Brother's out of town. I mean, pretty cool, huh? Oh, that's no better place in Oakland. I can get everyone out here. I love it. I mean, to think about this opportunity and starting your, your career. And, and the one thing I think for we have a lot of high school kids and high school players that watch, you know, the great thing about, you know, getting drafted like this is that you still have the opportunity to go to school. Mm -hmm. The A's will still pay for your school. So a lot of people think, ah, he's going to pro ball. No, you still have your opportunity to Absolutely. get your education. Yeah, I think that's super important. I think it's a huge thing just – across baseball that they've been doing, you know, providing that opportunity because it is a big, big trade-off to kind of forego that and, and come or do the baseball route, but I think that's a huge thing. So keep it in mind you can still – that's still an opportunity for you. It is huge. Well, A's Cast Live, this is where the big leaguers hang out, and hopefully we're going to have you for many, many years on this so. show. And the next time I'm going to see you is spring training. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Where Are you going to – so after Arizona, is it probably Stockton, or where, where do you think I, you're going? We're going to find out. i got to get out there and start playing. That's, that's all I know so far. Get you, out and get going. You're living the dream. Absolutely. Good Doesn't luck get to you. Appreciate it. Awesome stuff. we got more coming up next right here on A's. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's Cast Live. Daniel, welcome to the program. It's great to have you here. Daniel Susak, the first-round pick for the Athletics, number 19, out of the University of Arizona. This is the first time A's fans get to look at you live. Say hello to A's fans. How's it going, A's fans? I'm excited to be here. I got to think for you, a day like this, taking BP with the big club. We did it with Henry Bolte yesterday, mm -hmm. and it's just got to be an amazing feeling. The Houston Astros are coming out of the field. It's like you're now kind of a part of this fraternity. What's it like? You know, it's really fun. Obviously, you know, getting to hit some big league balls with some big league players is really fun. 
getting to meet all the guys, you know, even guys my brother played with, I think is really fun. And, you know, just trying to take it all in. You know, you, you think about an opportunity like this, what a year it's been, and Chip Hale, your, 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 yeah. your coach, is good friends of ours for his years on Bob Melvin's staff. You know, he was recently on with our buddy Roxy Bernstein talking about you. It's just what a good time, you know, and to be drafted in an organization where you know you're going to get a lot of opportunities, that, that's got to feel great for you. It does. You know, I'm excited to play, you know, at a place that really wanted me. Um, I think that was one thing they emphasized for me, and that's huge for me, somebody that really wants me. And, I, you know, I'm going to do all I can to keep working my way up and help contribute to the team. What was it like going through, let's say, around the 15th pick on? Because, you know, there's teams that like you. They've talked to you. Take us through that process, and then finally at 19, the A's call. You know, it's an exciting process, but it's also very stressful. Stuff's yeah. going fast. Everything's going fast. And I think I knew right around – pick 15 or pick 16 that I was going to the A's and you know it was an exciting phone call just my whole family plus friends 150 people there especially <laughs> from, awesome. from being an hour and a half away I think it was really exciting oh so so what did the A's say when you got on the phone uh you know they talked to me earlier and then obviously they were talking to my agent mainly and they were like you know he's our guy we want him and you know we got it done and I'm sure Chip kind of pumped you up on the A's too right I hope so I hope so so I gotta think that worked well you know when you think about your game you're a tall catcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, it's you know, you coming over. What are you about six five? Six four. Six four. Yep. Yeah. So how does that play for you? Give me, give us your strengths as a big catcher. I think my biggest strength has nothing to do with height. I think it's more leadership back there. You know, understanding that as a catcher, you're nothing without your pitching staff, basically. So trying to get the most out of them. But I think what I do best is throwing, trying to limit the run game. Uh, I have a pretty strong arm, so I think that's what I'd probably do best as a catcher. Yeah, he said you can even go Benito Santiago and throw from your knees. You like to do that? I do. I do like to do it sometimes, catch people as a surprise. Yeah, does that help with your size too, the fact the long arms, you don't have to get up, you don't have to make that turn, you can just throw that bullet? It does. Yeah, obviously having long levers, it's easy to you know, snap that ball in a second off the knees. You know, the one thing that uh, you know you talk about with catcher is so much people focus on offense, but as you said, the pitching staff, what it means, like, Offense is always the add-on, especially when you get here. I think of, you know, you know, just across the way, Martin Maldonado. They talk about he can be the, the Astros MVP, and he hasn't done much offensively. It's how he's handled the staff. Just how important it is for you to handle the staff, just not the starters, but to even know all the arms down the bullpen. It's extremely important. I think it's the most important thing as a catcher is handling that staff, getting the most out of them. Because if they aren't comfortable pitching to you, you're not going to get the most out of them. And at the end of the day, if your pitcher pitches good, you don't have to do much as an offense. And then for you, when did you learn it's so pivotal that you not only have to know what guys throw and know the entire staff, you got to know what makes them tick. You got to know what makes them tick in certain situations. You played in the Pac-12, one of the most competitive leagues. You got to know when a guy's coming out, what pitches he needs to throw in those pressure situations. When did you know that's something that I have to know on a daily basis? I think right when I got on campus at college was when I really started to you know, take off there. You know, maybe going to go get dinner with a guy, uh, inviting him over to watch a game, seeing what makes him upset, but also what makes him happy, knowing what he wants to hear and what he doesn't want to hear. Because, you know, there's times for both. Uh, if a guy's struggling, is he a guy that you get on or is he a guy that you, you know, soften up a little bit for? And that's all off the field, in my opinion, getting to know them as a person. How are they in the weight room? How are they as, you know, a student? So I think that's huge. 
That's a leadership quality. And, you, you know, there's one thing. Catchers are always going to be leaders. It's always funny. People never think of the game this way. But it's the only position where everybody looks at you and you look at everybody else. Yeah. It's so unique that way. And there's just whether you want to be a leader or not, you have to be. It's just what the position calls for. Exactly. That's why I love it. I'm playing quarterback my whole life. It's the same way. And I've always liked, you know, having the game in my hands in that aspect. Did you think about playing college football? I did a little bit. Um, if there was no injury risk, it's something I probably would have done. <laughs> but, uh, you know, football I love. I love watching it as well. Tell us about your offensive game. I think I don't get enough credit, in my opinion, for hitting. I think, you know, sometimes I'll swing outside the zone a little bit, but sometimes, you know, I get hits with it. And I've always had the ability since I was little to hit the ball the other way, and I use it to my advantage at times. Uh, have some power in there. Um, I know I think I can tip, tap into a little bit more, but I would say hit over power at the time, and, you know, I think the power will keep coming as I get older. Best story that I've heard about you that made me excited, because one of the things that I don't like covering this game for many, many years is how we become a three-true outcome game, home run strikeouts, walks, and we look up at a scoreboard and see a bunch of guys hitting a buck 90 or 220. I hate that. Mm -hmm. Best story I heard about you was at Arizona, they try and shift on you, you'd beat the shift, and then you'd talk smack to your teammates saying, you can't shift on me, showing that you have back control. Yeah, I would do that to Chip all the time in practice as well. Uh, you know, I just like to light a little fire in practice. You know, sometimes practices need it. But I think Texas Tech tried to do it to me earlier in the year. Um, you know, I'll just take what they give me, you know, because at the end of the year you might want that hit. Maybe it's an extra, you know, three points that could have bumped you up to the next, you know, mark. And so whenever it's there, Thank take it. you. A yep. couple extra hits, and yep. next, you know, it dramatically, you know, I try and tell people all the time, it's a game of math. Mm -hmm. So a few extra hits not only improves just your batting average, because a lot of people got batting averages matter, mm -hmm. but some of those hits may be doubles, but it increases your on base, your slugging, your OPS, your OPS plus, your weighted runs created plus, your war. Everything goes up. It's a game of math. Yep, it's never bad to get an extra hit in there. No, not not at all. And, and and the fact that you understand back control is a big part of your game. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, not every pitch is going to be one that you can drive. So knowing when to, you know, take that single into right versus, you know, a pitch right down the middle, you might take a little bigger swing. You know, maybe it's your pitch. But that low and away slider, you're probably not going to hit very far often. So you take what they give you. So when you think about you haven't played in a while, how eager are you? Because they, you know, they pushed the draft back. I'm glad they did. It made it a bigger deal the past couple of years. But you haven't played in a while. How eager are you to get going? I'm very eager. I'm really excited to play again. You know, it's been a while, I think, since early June. So it's been a little bit over a month. So I'm just excited. Yeah, to play you know. in the regionals, right? Exactly. Yeah. So just excited to go play wherever they send me. Do you know where you're going? I know I'm going to Phoenix first. That's all I know as of now. Okay. Yep. So probably you're going to end up in Stockton to start out? Don't know. We'll see. Uh, I just know tomorrow I'm taking off for Phoenix and then going to Mesa. Is it weird taking this much time off? A little bit. Um, playing baseball and football my whole life, I've never really had like a month to just train. Um, so I think that's the same thing with the off season. It's going to be a great time to you know, keep getting better at the game. You know, one thing that Chip mentioned, and it's so true for guys like yourself, you haven't had a whole lot of failure in your career. There's a reason you're a first-round pick, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the reason why you went to the University of Arizona, one of the great college baseball programs, is because of the success that you have had. But in our game of failure, as you move up, you will deal with that. Have you thought about that at all? I have. I mean, you, you, know, you fail all the time in baseball. If you fail 70% of the time, you're a Hall of Famer. And my freshman fall, I really struggled. I think I hit like 170 my freshman fall, my first time facing college arms every single day. Yeah. But, you know, I just kept working through it, went home, 
for that little bit of a break, worked hard, came back, you know, and earned that starting role my freshman year and kept going with it. Other than catcher, what can you play? I think I can play every position on the field. I just think I get the most out of myself, and so will the team at catcher. That's what I'm best at. But I think I'm athletic enough to play anywhere on the field. So other than what's been the most you have played away from catcher? So in college, if I just say, yeah. you, okay, you're not catching today. you got to play in this game today against the Houston Astros, mm -hmm. one of the best teams in baseball. You can't screw up defensively. Where are you the most? Which glove am I giving you? Where are you the most comfortable? So in my two years of college, I've only played catcher. But I would say first or right. Those would be my two guesses. Okay, so that's versatility. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yep. Because, you know, that's one of the things that is, you know, we want to see you be a catcher and be a catcher here for a long, long time. Yep. But the reality is sometimes to say if there's a catcher already here, can move you. If you got the bat, we can move you to other places. And the fact that you're saying you're comfortable infield and outfield. Exactly. Yep. Very comfortable. Anywhere. Well, that's great stuff. Hey, we appreciate it. We're going we're gonna to have a lot of interviews together. The oh, yeah. next time I'll see you is uh, down in spring training. But go enjoy with your family. We know you got TV and yep. radio to do during the game. But congratulations. It's truly going to be one of the best moments and the fondest memories of your life this day today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hello, Vinny. How are you? Townie, good to see you. Scoot up a little bit as yeah. we're uh, here. I'm uh, trying to learn on... this whole TV thing. How are you You're doing? Good. I'm really good. Big day, big, big, you know, I was trying, I was, I wanted to build, build this as a big day, right? Frankie Montas. And then, of course, Marcotze said we're going to look at 50-53 pitches and then go from there. For me, what I would like to see today, maybe too much, but if, if you go to buy a house like you did in Arizona, you just <laughs> didn't go to half the house, right? <laughs> you wanted to see what the front landscaping looked like. But I've seen this house a bunch already. I mean, I've driven by it, and I've watched, I've seen, I've actually been in the house. Okay, but but before you write that check, you're going to go through the house Double again, and you want to see the backyard again, make sure the lawn's not dead, okay. the landscaping's okay. still alive, how's the attic, I don't know, may have a basement, right? I want to see, I want to see that house Fair. one more time. Fair point. So, if he threw 75 pitches today, and he was healthy, and he was effective, would that, would that pass muster for you? You know, the thing for me is that he threw 25 pitches in that first bullpen session, and it didn't seem like it was right for him to come right back and pitch. So he took another, as I said, aggressive bullpen, and then we saw the 53 pitches in the game that he last worked. So, uh, you know, in, in a normal progression, you're, he's in the 20-pitch range, I think, and he's certainly passed that because he's, he's pitched 100 innings this, this season. Uh, I just want to see him be effective. He's going to face a very good lineup. I think scouts want to see that more so than what he did against the Tigers and evaluate from there, and we'll, we'll see if decisions will be, will be made moving forward. You know, the deal is, is the longer and the better he is, the much easier it is for a GM to give up a better prospect. Maybe. I mean, the, the, look, this has been the worst-kept secret for the A's since March, and David Force told you, he's told us, Going back to March, the offers that were there in March, we felt like were probably the same offers we would be receiving now. So we were willing to wait to see if there was going to be some either chaos or just you know a stronger need from an additional team that would have created some urgency. And, and I think that has that certainly has happened. And so now we wait and see. I, for a guy that's going to give you two postseason runs, if he's traded by August 2nd, uh, what you should feel like is fair value. Uh, I don't know. Do you want somebody that you feel like could play in the big leagues for the last 60 games of the season 
for the athletics? Do you feel like you want somebody that's really close to double A AA or triple A? Do you want young players? I'm asking you. I, mean, I think it's fair to say that you can look at just about any position on the field with the athletics, except catcher, where they've got a lot of guys. <laughs> But aside, How many catchers can you play? Yeah, exactly. Is that is that changing in the new rules? You play like two or three guys. Ray Fossey lineup. <laughs> uh, aside, I think it's it's fair to say you can look at just about any other position and say, if that if that player really intrigues us, we, we can make a move. There's not like we don't we don't need a, a third baseman or we don't need an outfielder or we don't need a, a second baseman. I think it's all in play. So I think it creates uh, an interesting challenge uh, for David Forrest and and Billy and. And the whole front office uh, trying to make that decision. Yeah, the frustration, two things here. The frustration is you watched Olsen, Chapman, Manaya, and Bassett walk out that door and really haven't seen so much this year at this level, which is okay. There are going to be trades. There are going to be tra- – we'll look at long term. But you haven't really gotten anything. And now here you have Frankie. And when a guy like Jim Bowden, like reading him on The Athletic, says that at best you're going to get a right now a mid because of injury mid-level guy and a player to be named later based on how he does when he goes to the other team if that is true we don't know if it's true that's why i said you know how he does today will it impact it we don't know if it makes it easier for a gm to feel better about selling a trade for frankie montas giving up a better prospect uh, the question just would be for me is it better now but the good news is I could hold him and wait till the offseason, and especially in spring training where you know other teams, pitchers get hurt, GMs get desperate again, start of the year. Could I hold him now and get better later on? I don't know if that necessarily would happen with just one year of control as opposed to two, two postseason runs. Uh, to me, my, my point is this. If Frankie comes out of this healthy and we see the velocity that we saw against Detroit, 97 to 98, where his first two pitches, he maintained that through his – 50-plus, if he does that today and he extends beyond that, he doesn't get into trouble and he has success. I go back to the games he had against Houston earlier this year when he was pumping 99 and come and get me, pal, because you can't, because he he was really feeling it. And I think that was the best Frankie Montas that that you see. And I I think if you're the team that's trying to make that decision, do you determine if Frankie Montas is a difference maker? Those starts for me prove that the answer is yes. And, yeah, certainly you want them to be successful today and you want them to be healthy today. If those things are true, then I think those questions were already answered. And I do believe that from the A's perspective, their asking price should be a fair one. It should be one that that dictates a guy that's going to be a one or a two in somebody's rotation, depending on which team uh, gets him. And I think you should get something back in return that reflects that. I mean, we got a ton of teams who are either leading the division – leading a wild card or right around it. And the extra wild card has brought a lot of people in there. So the good news is there's a lot of buyers. I think it's it's set up just perfectly, just enough extra teams, not too many where they at one point they wanted to be, what, 14 teams, wanted to be higher. And I think a lot of people felt like it was going to be that high. Then those teams that were on the cusp could kind of lay back. Hey, we're already in. We don't have to go crazy and try to – add somebody because we're basically fighting for one three-game series and potentially that three-game series is on the road because uh, it's not the one-game series, you know, like the one-game playing like the A's had in 18 and 19 where a lot of teams are saying, well, why should I make this tremendous push for one game which potentially won't even be my home ballpark? So I think it's different this time. I think you've got a better chance to, to uh, extend your postseason run even if you start with three games on the road. 
And I think a guy like Frankie Motas is one that, to me, it's Frankie Motas and it's, you know, Luis Castillo from the Cincinnati Reds. And then there's, you know, several others that, you know, may or may not come as a surprise. But to me, those are the top two guys that will attract the most attention from a starting pitching uh, perspective. You know, a couple of guys that I want to get into, we'll do that in a second. But some other players that I've mentioned uh, lately in, in these talks and they may not be players that you see as a team that are going to be all – they're going to be Jeff Blum World Series home runs, right? They're not going to be this great. But they're guys that help you when you have injuries, and they help you get to the finish line. And I think the A's have a couple of those guys. It's not sexy, and they're not going to end up in these articles that we're reading uh, uh, on the Internet or we're seeing on Twitter. But you take a guy like Chad Pinder that can play a lot of positions, uh, throw in a guy like Tony Kemp. You talk to some of the guys that can, you know – do a lot of different things for you on different nights just to help you get to the finish line, kind of like Christian Bethencourt, what we saw with Tampa. You could see those moves we made, right? More, more so with the two guys you mentioned because they both have postseason experience. You know, Pinder and Kemp, both with the A's and with the Astros, I think that carries a lot of weight. Their versatility certainly carries a lot of weight. They're both swinging the bat about as well as they have all season. So all, of, all those things I kind of play into your hands, into the conversation that you're talking about. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there's been conversations about that. You know, the, the challenge the A's have, like Pinder's a free agent. You know, are you making an offer for Chad to stay here? Does, does Chad want to stay uh, with the A's, knowing that right now it's it's in a process where it looks like it's more long-term than short-term to get back to the postseason? And if he has his one crack at, at free agency, does he say, let me see what I'm worth out there. Let me look at some of the teams where I can be a piece to a more of a contending team in 2023 as opposed to what I have in in 2022, I don't know if the A's have made an offer in him or not, or even if he would consider it. So I think that's why a guy like him is in play. And Tony's versatility, uh, same thing. Both of those guys with play, with playoff experience uh, do make a difference. And I do think those are the kind of under-the-radar moves. Look, Jeff Blum, when he hit the home run in 2005, I mean, it was a it was a great thing. But, you, uh, you know, you look at some of the other guys over the years that, that became heroes that you didn't really know about at the time but they're in the right place at the right time. That's the beauty of the postseason, that sometimes you're going to see a hero rise up that you didn't expect. And then there's some main guys to look at. And we just, you know, look at the numbers. Sean Murphy, 342, three dingers, two, eight doubles, 10 RBIs in his last 20 games. I mean, July has been a great month for the A's. Offensively, it's been a great month for Sean Murphy. And, you know, if there's a time when people are going to be calling, he's 27 years old, under control. You now have a bazillion catchers in your system. And you just have a guy who was the MVP of the future, Futures game in Langoliers. Uh, are you going to be shocked if Murph's moved by the deadline? I would be shocked. I mean, I think he he might be an off-season type of scenario, again, based on where are, the, where are the A's going in the next 24 months? Where are they going to be in 23? Where are they going to be in 24? And how does Sean Murphy fit in that? He's become a leader inside of this clubhouse. We know what he does behind the plate. His agility is second to none. His throwing arm is outstanding. He's the defending goal glover. His bat has finally come alive to, to – to the point of the consistency. You've always known he's had the big-time power. There have been times where the bat's kind of been a bit of a roller coaster. Now it's seemed to be a little more uh, consistent, and that makes him, to me, that makes him a a special player at a difficult position to to find somebody that's your guy. And he wants to catch. I mean, he he wants to catch 135 games. I mean, that's another thing, too, that, that plays into another team looking at Sean Murphy. He would certainly be attractive. I would... I would be surprised if he if he went uh, next week to a certain degree, just because you got three more years of control with him. 
He's not going to be making a lot of money. And I think if the A's move him, then it's got to be something significant for them to, to get back, given they've got depth of the position. Uh, you can always try to build around, see if Langoliers is, is going to stick. There's no guarantee he will, but he, he is trending in that direction that he gets up here that you feel like he's, he's going to do more than just tread water. Uh, if that's the case, then, I mean, Sean Murphy would get a lot in return because of leadership skills, defensive prowess, calling games. He has presence, all those kinds of things that, that make him a special player. I just don't think you, you, you give him away for, you know, four guys in A-ball and, uh, you know, some guys that are, you know, four years away. I think you've got to look at a guy like Sean Murphy if you're going to trade him to a contending team. You've got to get something a little more, again, closer to the big leagues or in the big leagues, a young player. Uh, and Ezekiel Duran, let's say, uh, Vidal Brujan uh, with the Rangers or with the Rays, those are two young guys that are getting opportunities. Maybe you get a guy like that and you run him out for the A's and you give him 450 plate appearances and you see what he can do and you let him build on that. Jonah Heim and Sean Murphy back together. <laughs> uh, let's go Ramon Laureano. Yeah, he's he's in play. Scouts have been watching. They've they've. I think scouts have wanted to see him more in center field than in right because center field is more of a position that some teams have a need for, specifically the Phillies, specifically the Marlins, and they both have watched him this week again. You know where where that goes. Uh, uh, I I don't know, but he I, I think he's he's a guy too. He he. He's not intimidated. You say, well, going to a market like Philadelphia could really chew up some people. I don't think that would bother a guy like Ramon. He, he's always had a little bit of a, of a chip on his shoulder. He's had a little bit of, in a good way, he's had a little bit of that attitude, which, which he feeds off of. So I think he's a fit in any market. You know, I, I don't think he would be phased by going to a, one of those kind of media frenzy type markets. And so I, I, to, to me, with not knowing anything, if, if I was looking at the player's that are getting the most phone calls or may have the most opportunity to be moved by next Tuesday would be Frankie Montas, Sam Mall, and then Ramon Laureano. All right, here you go. Your wild card, your Christian Bethancourt, where I remember Beth I was like, what? Bethancourt just, he finally started hitting the ball to right and he's hitting the ball off the wall and he's getting traded. Bethancourt got traded? Uh, give me your surprise. From the athletics? From the athletics. Like we'd wake up and go, he got dealt? I think if I'm if I'm saying surprise, I'd say Cole Irvin. I Good mean, one. Uh, I mean, I'd love to have him. I love having him here. Absolutely, he's he's been under the radar with the conversation about Montas and the great first half for Paul Blackburn going to the All Star game, and he has been so consistent. I don't want it. Let me be clear. I don't want to see Cole. No, Irvin it's live. fair. We wanted it. Yeah. We want a sleeper. But, but I think it, but it, it's it, a good one. If you're a team looking for. You know, not a front of the rotation, but a middle of the rotation. Guy's going to eat innings. He's going to be consistent. Certainly knows how to pitch. And is pitching very confidently right now. That's the guy I would point to. I got to tell you, Juan Soto is the most fascinating guy that maybe ever has been traded because of his age, where the game is. There's so many different dynamics, right? Because normally everybody think, oh, you know, you got to – it's going to be the big boys, right? Well, no, it could be somebody who wants to get him now. You know, let's play that old flip this house game where I buy him – I buy the house for $2 million, then flip it for 3.3, and I made a million three, right? Ooh. So, all of a sudden, be like, well, the Padres could get him. Well, wait a minute, the Mariners could really use him. They haven't been to the playoffs since 01. I've joked around, tried to make it, hey, the A's could get him, then we I've flip heard. him. <laughs> hey, play the hits, baby, play the hits, as they say in radio. But it's so many different people could use him, then flip him. 
and then someone else could get him and flip him? I mean, what could happen to him before you actually got to pay him this crazy Scott Boris-type contract? Have we ever seen a free agent like this? It's interesting. I mean, he's he's a – I mean, I think right now, I know I can't say five years from now because I don't know what kind of a player he's going to be. I don't know how his body's going to respond. I don't know if he's going to be heavy-legged, you know, if things are going to change. But right now he he is as big a difference maker as anybody in terms of changing the arc of a pennant race because of the things that he can do. He's, you know, and we don't even get a chance to see him that much. I'm, I'm, I'm doubtful I'll see him when the A's go to Washington to take on the Nationals at the end of August. I don't think he'll be there. I think he'll be playing for somebody else. Maybe he'll be playing for the Yankees. Maybe he's playing for, for the Mariners. I, I would like to see somebody other than the Yankees get him. And, and to me, we both have had conversations with Jerry Depoto over the years. We know what a wheeler dealer he is. They've got a very strong system. Uh, guys that are close to the big leagues. That kind of fits into what Mike Rizzo wants. Mike Rizzo is a scout, you know, going back to his early days. So he, I'm sure he's perused a lot of the information from all these various teams and, and looked at the players that are out there on this, you know, top 100 list and looked at it from a scout's perspective. Uh, so I, to, I think Juan Soto is, can really be a, as big a difference maker making a move at the trading deadline as just about anybody in recent history. You know, a, a lot of people may not have thought about this. I've thought a lot about it because it's been very obvious where baseball has been going in our country compared to the other sports. And I really think what baseball has done, and I want to get your opinion on it, with putting everything in July. And I know GMs don't like it, but you know what? I don't care what they think. We're about what's what's best for baseball. We're in the entertainment business. And now that we have the draft and the futures game and Home Run Derby had good television ratings, even though the ratings you would say are not great for the All-Star game, they were they still won that Tuesday night. And to think that everything that's good now we have here at the start of August, we got the trading deadline. I just uh, I just for me it's just what baseball has done is very smart. Before football starts, training camps and everything, getting all this stuff out there has been huge. What do you think? Well, I agree, and I, I, I wish they would do something in baseball that we've seen other sports. And when free agency starts, it has a specific start and end, that there, there is a window, whether it's you know three days or it's two weeks, whatever the case might be. I think it's the, the kind of thing that I think will create even that more off-season excitement. And that's, to, to, your, to your point, the next step, that's what I, that is something I would like to see. We got to uh, get yeah, he's a good one. Zach Jackson in here. He's been he's been fun to watch grow, and uh, we saw him in Houston. He's got a lot of family there. We're in the hotel, and Zach had like 700 people sitting on one couch from both sides of the family, just enjoying what, what it was like being in the big leagues. Uh, you're gonna enjoy talking to Zach. He's a great talker. Well, it's like who do you really like from your family? Who you don't? Would you allow them where they're on this the couch? This side and the right? fiance side, you got to you got to play it right down the middle. That's what you got to do. You remember doing that when you first got married? Still do it. You got to act like you. Thirty-one like years later, I still do it. Good seeing you, Townie. Well, I'm glad you shot seventy-two at Pebble Beach. Yeah, then I play the rest. But thank you. <laughs> the great Vince Catronio. You'll hear him on A's Toll. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. 
It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Access brought to you by Chevron. Well, now joining us on A's Cast Live, he is the best distance runner here at the Coliseum. You read him on the Athletic National Baseball columnist, Eno Saris, who could barely sit down on the stool he is on as we speak. Uh, how? First of all, how are you? I am sore in places I didn't expect to be sore. You ran a half marathon. On Sunday, yeah. I've been training for it for a while. Okay, um... Simple question. Why? <laughs> like I said, man, I got to do something to get rid of this beer gut. And you and and you you actually you got to actually train. Like you got to get your body and that's got to be the worst part of it. Yeah, I think that was actually an underrated part of the experience. I was looking around being like, I think some of y'all didn't didn't actually train for this. <laughs> uh, because I ran I ran a, a 10 uh, about uh, 2 weeks before it and so I knew I could do it. Okay, is the goal a marathon? No, I think when I, when I finished, I was like, that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to have done twice that. So I think if I if I have another goal, I am looking for a goal. And I think this is actually interesting in the context of baseball and, and sports in general. Sometimes you get to the mountaintop and, like, you know, people ask you, so, like, so what now, right? And I, I think the, the crazy people that are, are professional athletes, they're like, do it again, do it better, you know, like, you know, hit more homers and, you know, whatever it is that they did, you know. And so I think just for me, I'm not a crazy athlete. I'm just going to try and maybe beat my time next year. Yeah, I've never gotten to the mountaintop, so I've never had to worry <laughs> about that. Uh, but it, it's a great point. Think about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods changed his swing three different times three different swing coaches with all of them he won majors but it was like wait a minute you just set the record at pebble beach at the u.s open you just set the record at at uh, st andrews for the first time he won there for the open championship we called the british open yeah. and then now you're gonna go to hank haney and change your swing like what like 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 there's yeah. no party it's like just mic drop and i'm out or just keep doing what you're doing yeah, yeah right yeah, exactly yeah you know, nolan nolan ryan just keep throwing it as hard as you can with a big curveball you can do it forever yeah, right, right so the uh, article the three true outcomes are changing and are down are all three down or is just one or all three? So home runs, strikeouts, and walks are all down. Uh-huh. And it's the first time in 17 years they've all been down together, and it's only the second time in 30 years that they've all been down together. Is baseball better? Because uh... <laughs> we, we said it was worse that they were going up I know, together. I know, I know. I would say that it's on its way to getting better because the, 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 the key thing that still remains, because it's not like batting averages are up and it's not like – uh, we got a ton of balls in play all of a sudden. Each of these things is incrementally better. Um, I would say that the, the, the last thing we have to attack still is strikeout rate. We pushed strikeout rate back to 2017. There's a little bit further we can push it back. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think people, and I, I just did it with uh, Daniel Susak, and I try and tell people all the time, I just go, this is, and I just said it, so I hate to repeat myself, but it's, <laughs> it's a game of math. And we did it the other day when I was having to fill in for uh, Bip Roberts, who was taking over for Dallas Braden, who was just having his third child. So I was having to do the TV over at NBC, and we were looking at things, you know, that we'd like to see in the second half. And I said, you know, I'd like to see Seth Brown increase his batting average. 
and I put it at a number that I knew would shock people a little bit. I said, I want to see it go from 227 to 260. And you should see people's eyes like, well, you, that can't happen. I said, okay, let's just do this. I'm going to give him one hit per week for the last 15 weeks, right? We, uh-huh. had, we had about 15 weeks. If he gave him just one more hit a week. He'd be hitting 260? 278. Wow. And you got to think, some of those would be doubles. Some of them would be home what runs. About, what about some uh, or squibbers some, down the line? But what whatever about it be, bunts? all of his numbers, OPS, OPS+, plus, weighted runs created everything plus, would go up. war, everything would go up because it's math. The more you do, the more everything goes up. So I try and tell people, you know, hitting 227 sucks. You may not care about batting average, but you're not going to stick here long hitting 227. Well, I, I think this is what's, uh, what's, what is uh, interesting and cool about this, the three triagons going down is – Walk rate. We didn't do anything about walk rate. We didn't change the strike zone. We didn't tell the umpires to do anything different. We didn't do anything to affect walk rate, and walk rate went down. You know why? Because home run rate went down. And those two things are always linked because walk rate is just a measure of how afraid you are of the batter. And, you know, if there are fewer home runs to be afraid of, the pitcher's going to come in the zone more. So that's something that will lead to balls in play because if the pitcher's in the zone, the batter's got to swing. Well, it's Shark Week right now on the Discovery Channel, and if there's less sharks around the boat, I'm more willing to go swimming. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. And, you know, strikeout rate is down because we did the sticky stuff enforcement, and also we stopped pitchers from hitting. Pitchers were striking out nearly 50% of the time uh, when we last when we last saw them saw them hitting. So uh, I think that was uh, that that's a very simple approach, but there's more to be done, of course, with the velocity uh, and maybe pitcher limits on, on the roster and stuff like that. I would say strikeout rate is the one thing we still have to do a lot of work on, um, and there are different things they're going to do on it. But it is interesting. You just reduce the home run rate, which is not, I think, something that people at the game would be pro. You know, it's like. Oh, fewer home runs, but we like home runs, right? But when you reduce the home run rate, you reduce the walk rate, uh, and you may actually reduce the strikeout rate, and you may get more balls in play. Now, Technically, a home run is not a ball in play. Because it never was technically. Well, it was, it was in play when it was thrown from the pitcher's right. hand, and when <laughs> yeah. you made contact, it was in play. Uh, the strikeout rate, so many people want to just immediately go to velocity. And I don't know if that's uh, some of that's probably true, but then again, you got human beings adapt, right? And like in every sport, you know, cornerbacks are faster than ever before. Receivers are faster than ever before. Like hitters have been hit, hitters. These kids have been seeing higher velocity as the velocity goes up. These hitters see it and they've adapted to it. Mm-hmm. Is it more approach to the strikeouts than it is just velocity being up? If it is approach, I think we could get an answer on that because we would see more balls in play every year from now going forward because they're not getting rewarded by the home run as much. The, one of the reasons they went to this A swing on every sw- every uh, every swing. Same approach, swing every pitch. A swing all the time. The reason they went to that was because like in 2019 we had more homers than ever. So of course you're going to take your A swing. You know I'd rather take my A swing with two strikes and hit a homer or, and strike out. You know because the homer is going to be there for me. But now you can take more A swings, especially if you go oppo and it dies on the warning track. You know. And so if that's going to happen, then I got I better have a, a B swing and a C swing and better you know, try to put this ball in play. So if it is approach, we should see more balls in play over the next few seasons. It makes me think, What when was the Bucky Dent game? Was that 79, 78? I think it was 78. 78? I'll, I'll, I'll fact check. I might be the what, – yeah. were you born yet? 
No. Yeah, I, I was. I'm probably the only guy who was born. <laughs> I, I wasn't even close to being born. I was. I was like six years old. I don't remember it. But I. I watched it during COVID. They seventy eight. Seventy eight. They aired it on MLB Network. And I remember at one point in the game, Reggie Jackson steps up. Now, no one struck out more than Reggie Jackson in his era, but still, he was hitting. This is you know, this is this is game one sixty three. He hit like 281 that. He led the league in strikeouts, but still hit 281. And in this game, he had two strikes. Reggie choked up. And as you mentioned, not you know, an A swing, a B swing, yeah. you know, whatever the situation, the count, switching your approach, do you think we will see a change in balls and play? We're seeing a little bit of it because what I saw, for instance, is uh, since we've been tracking it, the last two years are the highest number of opposite field ground balls into the shift by lefties. So there is a little bit of... There's an adjustment. Yeah, put it in play. Uh, anecdotally, I remember just the other day in the Giants game, Brandon Belt, uh, they, they were down by three in the ninth. He just dropped a little bunt uh, down the line. I, I can't find real statistical evidence that that's up, but we do have... Uh, yeah, I think we're seeing a little bit of it anecdotally. Um, there's more work to be done there, I think. You know, and and I and I'm a little worried that banning the shift will incentivize the wrong things. What about the pizza pie second base that they're doing the pizza? If you look at it, the the, the bottom of the pizza is second base, and then it goes out into the grass. Well, and it makes the infielders not be able to play up the middle. You like I li- that? I like that because when you're in little league or when you're in high school, where if you're in development, you're developing yourself as a ball hitter. They'll say a single at the middle, right? Hit the a ball line back drive towards the, the pitcher. Hit the ball, yeah. yeah, take the pitcher's head off, right? I mean, not not literally, but you know, you know, like that's that's the that's the that's a good outcome. That's something you're coached to do. And then you get to the major leagues, and the shortstop's standing on second base, and he's just gobbling up anything you do there. So you have to you have to adjust, and that that'll lead you to more. I'm going to try and pull this ball in the air. Pulled air, pulled air balls or homers. I'm, that's why I'm going to do everything in that sort of pull side, right? If I miss hit it, it's a pulled ground ball. I'm out. If I hit it right, it's a homer. I'm not doing a lot of stuff over here. Hey, other sports, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, they've all changed defensive rules to help the offense. It's happened for a long, long time. And this will be the first time, though, that we draw a line on the field and say you cannot stand there. I have no problem with it. <laughs> I can't wait for that base hit back up the middle. If I can't we, wait for if it. We were, yeah, and it's not like what I didn't like about banning the shift was this idea that, oh, maybe everyone just go pull even more because now there's they, they can't shift. But they can still put that second baseman in the hole pretty deep, right? And that, ste- that steals those pulled ground balls uh, from the, the pull-heavy guys, right? But this spy slice thing is not – incentivizing you to pull the ball down the line. It's incentivizing you to go up the middle, which would lead to more balls in play. I'm going to give you my biggest pet peeve, which it, it's just about me. I know it's selfish, but it, it literally drove me nuts. The A's would put Marcus Simeon out in right field. He's playing Rover. Yeah. He is deep into right field. Left-handed guy would hit it to him. He'd throw it to first base, and in my scorebook, I'd have to write 6-3. <laughs> he is not a shortstop anymore. He is a right fielder. I should that not. Actually, that drove me nuts. That actually led to an advancement in defensive metrics because uh, there's a couple defensive metrics that couldn't handle that. Because they're like, wait, 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 the second baseman did what? Where? Uh, and so uh, one of the defensive metrics, the one on Fangraphs, UZR, uh, just threw out any uh, shift. So that play wouldn't exist uh, for Marcus Simeon. The Manny Machado 
down that the right field line in foul territory. Does not exist in UZR. It does not exist on Fangraphs War. That that did not contribute to Manny Machado's war that year. In the scorebook, it would say F F five. Yeah, a foul out to the third baseman. But Statcast, and and I hope that uh, you know, I hope that Fangraphs updates their war soon to reflect this because uh, Statcast now knows where you started and can say, oh, the second baseman started over there. He didn't run all the way from second base and, and get the ground out <laughs> by first base or in short right field, you know. Okay, I'm not going to ask you where you think Juan Soto's going to go. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is where do you want him to go? What would be the juiciest best move for baseball? I'd where literally, for I, won't, I won't out him, um, but I literally just had this conversation with an A. Uh, and we were going back and forth. And he An said, ace player. Yeah. And he said, Yankees, it'll be perfect. Like, you know, that'll be the perfect lineup. It'll They'll be unstoppable. They'll win it all. He's they got Joey the- Gallo. Why do they need? <laughs> how, uh, how does he only have two sack flies in his career? You and I could have two sack flies in our career if we were. I here. know, and he hits a but. Yeah, he, he hits, hits fly balls. He hits fly balls. It's yeah, crazy. it is crazy. Okay, so Juan Soto. Uh, Juan Soto to the Yankees uh, was his vote, uh, but I said, uh, "Come on, the you know the favorites get get bigger." I want, I want, I want somebody who hasn't won to win. So I kind of like the idea of the Padres uh, because he could be what puts them over the top. They're missing thump. Uh, they don't really have a lot of guys that grind out at bats the way Soto does. Uh, and and just the idea of kind of Soto Machado Tatis is like a threesome. I just I think that would be really it, fun. We're 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 uh, almost in August here. Tatis is. What are we talking? I mean, if everybody keeps saying everybody keeps saying Tatis. And there, even Wait, the do you last have something, time? Cody? He, he took batting practice on the field today. Great! But, it's batting practice. It's even, August. But even when he was uh, even when he was cleared for that, uh, the the doctors didn't all agree. There was like this thing that came out. They said they said well, there was something that they didn't all agree on. Maybe so. that's why you need Soto more than ever because he may not, he may be a non-factor. Yeah, yeah, and it would be a shame to kind of uh, to to lose Tatis in the middle of this this great this great run they're having for San Diego. You know, but um, you know, just going to the Dodgers and the Yankees would be the rich getting richer. So I'm I'm just rooting for somebody that's not top two. Uh, or top three. I mean, going to the Mets would be about the same. I, somebody that's not in that sort of top three. I'd love to see. I like new blood. You know, I'd like to see somebody new win it all. My my he could w- shift it that way. I my, think he's that good. My wife loves the show Property Brothers, which then has <laughs> I watched that. then has now led me to watch Flip This House, uh-huh. and then my kids like Caroline, uh, Carolyn, on the coast or whatever it is. The bottom line is, why not the A's? And I'm going to say this. I get a house, I pay $2 million for it. <laughs> I'm now going to have it and enjoy it for a little bit, and then I'm going to flip it for $3.3 million. I've now made $1.3 mil. Whatever <laughs> we would flip for him, <laughs> next next, next season you we get would more. get way more. <laughs> I don't know. People say that, you know, you, that more people, there would be more teams uh, at the table in an offseason, right, because more teams could theoretically be good. So we'd have them here for two I months. I don't know if I believe that, Take actually. pictures of them in the white cleats and look awesome and then flip him in the offseason. Who in, who in, this, in this MLB right now – in the uh, in next off season, would be want what would would trade for Soto that wouldn't trade for him now. Wouldn't trade for him. Who wouldn't trade for him now, but would trade for him. Well, in the, the question, I, I guess, uh, how Nobody. about how about 
what you would give up for him now versus what you'd give up for less him in the offseason. because you get less of him. You unless, get him for two postseasons Unless of you one. lost something or you've had injuries and you've become uh, more desperate. I, I, I agree with you. I think the I think the Hayes thing is a little bit out there. But uh, for the Rays. Hey, i got to bring us in somehow. The, for the Rays, it's a possibility that they. Uh, and then they, they flip and Use them and they flip They would flip them. They would totally flip them. And if they just thought that, like, you know, the, he could give us a chance this year and we can get as better as good or better next year, you know, back for him, then that's the one team that's, like, kind of a dark horse in this conversation. Well, I, that's why I said to Vince Catronio earlier that he may be the most fascinating trade piece because of his age, mm-hmm. because of the climate where you have. Right now we got like 16 teams where you, you either lead the division, have a wild card, or near a wild You have so many more teams in play now than ever before. It's just the right yeah. time. He's like one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting, trade pieces of all time. And it, it was fascinating, too, because I, I think the guy he reminds me of most of playing baseball is Miguel Cabrera and that might be one of the last players that was traded with years of team control left for a massive package but I th- if I remember correctly Miguel Cabrera was an offseason trade um, and uh, I don't know they didn't do that well with the, the prospects they got for him uh, it was like Cameron Mabin I don't remember what else they had and Andrew Miller was one of them Andrew Miller as well, a starting f- pitcher not they, a reliever they, they flipped him again yeah. before he became the ace reliever that he was uh, so I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what we learned from that, sort of looking backwards. Uh, probably I would learn not to trade Soto, but yes. if he's not going <laughs> to take your deal, then maybe you got to consider it. I do think that there is a number, there is a percentage that he does not go anywhere. It's uh, 5, 10, maybe even 25% he doesn't go anywhere. How much does this start today for Frankie Montas? Either enhance, hurt does nothing at all for his value. I think it, it matters because if you're uh, – the, the real question with him is not how good he is. It's how, how, how healthy he is. So if he goes out there and maintains his velo and maintains his spin and, and you know, hit, checks all your boxes for health, then you're more likely to go and get him, I think. Do innings matter? Pitches matter? Does like pitch count matter? Uh, to some extent, but you know, around the league, you know, you you be trading him to maybe a team that has a better bullpen. They don't. Maybe they just want him for five or you know five and a half. You know, that, that's good enough for them because they got a good bullpen. They need a good starter for the first five. Mostly, what you want with Montas that doesn't exist on the market other than Luis Castillo is a guy that might actually start your second or third game in the postseason. You know, I don't think there's anybody else like that available on the market. And then it's Big Murph, who's hot right now, swinging the bat. I think it costs too much, man. I don't think he's going anywhere. He's he's got like four more years of team control, and he's a young catcher. He, I just I just ran the numbers. He's. Uh, you realize we have like eight thousand catchers in the organization. But he's top three in he's top three in framing. Uh, he's top ten in barrel rate, and he actually has an average strikeout rate. I think he's like maybe a top three young catcher in the game. I don't I don't know. That doesn't. But, but at some point. Traded. If we know they're probably not going to be good next year, he's 28. I don't know if you're good next year after that. That's your 29. If I he mean, goes anywhere, Giants. They've been Giants. desperate for catching. They you don't have. You can't trade with the Giants. Giants can. and A's don't trade. Far, well, we do have Farhan over there now. Giants might go nuts over a, a guy like this. Young well, guy behind L- the plate. What about Loriano over there? Uh, I think he makes sense. I also uh, I was actually talking to Loriano about Milwaukee. Milwaukee has been bad against left-handed hitter, left-handed pitchers. They could use a righty. They could actually almost trade their young uh, center fielder, Tyrone Taylor, who has more years of, of control and is cheaper, 
uh, for Ramon Laureano, maybe with another prospect thrown in, I think it would make a lot of sense. And and when I said that, Ramon's eyes lit up. Yeah, Milwaukee. <laughs> I would like to hit there. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think it's time he's about ready to get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> he said he's uh, he said he's up in the caffeine uh, because of the fewer people in the stands. <laughs> he's tripled his caffeine regimen. <laughs> I'm being told we're running out of time, so I have to get to the most important as we start to transition. We're still in summer. It's just July, I get it. Uh-huh. But at some point, we're going to start the, the weather, starts heading to fall, it's football season. What do you transition out of beer-wise and into the fall? I'm getting into Saison's uh, right now. I really like Saison's. They, uh, they've got a little bit of barrel funk to them. Uh, so there's a little bit more taste, but they're still light and effervescent. So you're not, you're not into like the barrel-aged stouts yet. It's a, it's a perfect fall beer. Yeah, you're, you're not ready to go thicker beer yet. Oh, and you know, there's actually some news, Oakland-specific news. Uh, Sante Darius is now open in the old Trappist uh, in Oakland, and it's excellent. They're really well-known. Saison Bernice is maybe a, a top three Saison for me, uh, and they're now probably one of the best breweries in, in Oakland. Any new beers named after you? Uh, no, but I did have some of my uh, – I, I, I actually – uh, we're we're gonna do a, a sticky stuff. Uh, we, you you had the sticky stuff can. Yeah. We're doing a sequel, uh, and we're calling it Stuff Plus. It's so funny <laughs> when you when you talk about sticky stuff, but it's actually a beer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of so, different around stuff here. Stuff Plus in is, is my is my stuff metric for for pitchers stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, stuff. You got you got all this new stuff going on. How? It's good. It, it, it actually teams use it because what you can do is you can graph where a pitcher is in their movement and velocity and stuff, and you can say, hey, if you can add an inch of ride, you get into the good stuff over here. So people, most teams have a stuff metric, and they use it to guide their player development when it comes to How pitchers. different is your stuff from their stuff? I, knew, I had Because we're talking about a lot of stuff here. I, know. I had Matt Brash uh, with a 190 Stuff Plus slider. He came to the major leagues. They said uh, on the air in Seattle that their Stuff Plus had him at 180. So, pretty close. You're the man. The great Eno Saris. He is one of the main reasons you subscribe to The Athletic. And the app on your phone or where you're on your – I'm telling you – Journalism is not dead. Sports journalism is dead in the Bay Area, but not with the <laughs> athletic. They do a great job. We, you know, Melissa Lockhart all the time we have her on. She's great. So whether you're talking about A's, Giants, Major League Baseball, NFL right around the corner, NBA with the Warriors, athletic is a great product. Thanks for having me. Well, this I, is, is, is this your first appearance on A's Cast Live? Uh, it is. It is. Well, we've been trying to get you. We've been trying to work our people, talking to your people. You're not easy to book. <laughs> hey, I didn't even know I had people, so I'm glad to be here, though. How is everything going for you? Man, going good. Yeah, we're uh, right here in the dog days and, you know, just getting through these summer months. Looks like we're kind of coming together. So, yeah, things are going good right now. I think for you and where you are in your career – to have this opportunity to really be a big part at the back of a bullpen just has to be every day you can't wait to get to work. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I know a lot of guys feel that way. You know, a lot of guys that were maybe just looking for an opportunity who had kind of been sitting in the minors for a while. Um, you know, obviously I was one of those guys, and the way it's gone this year is, you know, we've had a little bit longer leashes to, you know, kind of figure things out up here just because it's such a learning process. But, yeah, obviously coming to the field every day, getting to be in a big league ballpark every day is, you know, something – 
been dreaming of forever. So, yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, we talk about it all the time, and it's whether, you know, because we see a lot of different players come in and out, even though when the A's are having good years, that happens. And you say, you know, the great thing about coming to the A's, it's the land of opportunity. If you do well, you will move up. If you do well, you will play. That is the bottom line. And that's not always the case in other organizations. Is that something, you know, when you came to the A's, you realized, I'm going to actually get a legit shot? Yeah, you know, it was it was something where, you know, I came over here after COVID year where I didn't, you know, even get invited to the alternate site. You know, I'm kind of, you know, just sitting there trying to figure out what my baseball career is going to look like past 2020 and, you know, get over here. And they had made that very apparent that it was like, look, you know, you're – essentially playing for your spot and if you pitch better than everybody else then you're going to be the guy who moves and that's really all you can ask for as a player you know I know that a lot of times with analytics the way that it's kind of set up now is you're just really hoping for an opportunity that you know your numbers can show it and uh, you know I'm definitely fortunate to be an A because that's kind of how it's gone since I've been over here. Well right now you're leading and I don't even know if you guys pay attention to this you're leading the American League in holds. Now that gives me something to talk about in a show like this, and I do the pre and I do the post and everything. Uh, but for you, does that matter to you to even look at that? You know, I, I think as a rookie it, it doesn't as much. You know, I, I think it's cool to say those things. But like, like you said, I mean, th this has been a big opportunity for me. So yeah. being a rookie, I just want to stay here. You know, I, I know that uh, there's been a lot, lot of opportunity at the back end of that bullpen this year. And so for me, just being fortunate enough to go out there and have the opportunity to pitch in clutch situations has been the coolest thing for me. You know, I'm, I'm not a big stat guy myself. I kind of – made that a point not to look at it because I think sometimes you can get a little too consumed with maybe you know reaching for a certain number or whatever and you know once you get up here you realize you just need to take the ball and give yourself a scoreless inning you know put your team in a position to win a game so yeah I, I can't say I'm too big on the stats but I I did not know that that's that's pretty cool I I love how you come in and you're just airing it out it's like <laughs> here it is fastball slider here you go sometimes you're what I like to call effectively wild Absolutely. um but that can play for you. Yeah. And and that's the thing that people need to realize when you come out of the bullpen is that you're coming in to not pitch to contact. Great to have your defense work behind you, but you don't want a whole whole lot of contact. Talk about your game plan when you come in out of the bullpen, especially late in games. Yeah, I think that's kind of always been the scouting report around me. Um, obviously, sometimes that, you know, can – be a deficit the way that you know I've been in the past and I think it's been the biggest learning opportunity this first half is like hey you know even though you're not trying necessarily to pitch to hard contact because you have a big league defense behind you sometimes sometimes you have to and I think that's kind of the approach I've taken lately you know I really had a stretch there where it was just the walks were getting out of control and I know it's frustrating to watch it's frustrating to pitch the way that it happened but you know at this point it's just been a mindset that hey if if they can hit it you know see if you can but just trying to go out there with the most confidence you can and you know, saying that the, the coaches believe I should be here for a reason. I'm really going out there with my best stuff. And, you know, at this point, it's worked out pretty well. Sometimes it's release point. Sometimes it's just your body. You're a little out of control with the body. So when, when it's not going well for you, what do you think it is? Yeah, I mean, for anybody who's watched, obviously I don't have the most orthodox mechanics. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it is just timing for me. You know, it's, it's not necessarily I'm a guy, you know, trying to hit an exact spot. It's, you know, usually, you know, cutting the plate in half one way or the other and trying to go there. And, you know, I think just trying to maybe expand where I'm throwing the ball and just making sure it's in the zone or at least, you know, a quality pitch to see if they're going to get something to swing at. And, you know, so for me, I think a lot of it's more mentality, even though a lot of people would probably say, no, like your body's off or whatever, just because the way you throw. I think it's probably a combination of both. But honestly, when you get your mentality right, especially at this level that, you know, you can't be scared to face the hitters at this level as good as they are, you know, just be ready to go attack them. And your ability to pitch up in the zone 
and the ball just, it's one of those, you know, defies gravity type. Your ball stays up. It plays well because batters can't get on top of it. Talk about how that's a strength for you. Yeah, I think that's something, especially working in the offseason. I work with uh, Matt Hobbs. He's a coach at Arkansas now. Um, And even Wes Johnson, who was the guy uh, with the Twins. And that was when I really started to understand analytics and, you know, seeing what my fastball does. And you have that, you know, vertical break, essentially that ride for people who aren't familiar with the terms. And, you start realizing that, like, okay, this is the reason a pitch, you know, succeeds in this part of the zone and really understanding who I was as a pitcher because, you know, how it was growing up, it's, hey, down and away, see if you can locate down there. And then you realize, well, that's not the most effective way for me to pitch. Um, so I think really getting in the offseason, getting in the lab and just kind of understanding who I was, developing, you know, who I was in the minor leagues, trying to not necessarily reinvent myself, but, you know, pitch the way that my body and my, you know, fastball especially plays off of that. So I think a lot of that goes into offseason work and, you know, just tr- really trying to execute it out here. And that's the great thing about the technology that we have in our sport because back in the day they tried to teach everybody i'm a failed old college pitcher myself and everything was live down build it they used to say build the foundation build the house down and you want everything sinking down and now you're a part of a generation where they say no up because they can't there's no launch angle on your high fastball and you're in a huge ballpark if there's a swirling wind right now wait till it gets nighttime go ahead try and hit the ball in the air here so i mean i think that that's really been good for guys like you the fact that if there was just a keep it down and sink it that's not always the best everybody's different and your strengths are different yeah and like i said it's definitely a you know a point to make of emphasis is this ballpark is favorable especially for guys like me who are just needing to prove to yourself hey you need to throw strikes to these guys see what they can do against you and you know you'll have balls that are hit pretty good here and it's like you know you have a great outfield out there um so it's like if I can just keep the ball in the park and it's you know fairly easy to do here compared to maybe some other places so I I think like I said just learn who you are as a pitcher learn your ballpark and really trust in your stuff well, since you brought up Arkansas, do you feel bad that your SEC is ruining college football? <laughs> I mean, do, do you take any responsibility for that? Well, here's what I want to say is I hate it more than anybody because I grew up an OU fan. So I oh, have I have Texas this, and OU in the so SEC. You got Texas now, which I've always, you know. With I've, A&M and Missouri? Yeah, always hated Texas, but uh, I grew up with the four of them growing up. Those were, you know, I was a Big 12 guy growing up. Yeah. and. So you have these teams now. My family's all – well, my mom's an OSU fan. My dad and the rest of my family's all big OU fans. So now I have, you know, this rivalry that's going to end up, you know, just developing because Arkansas and OU are going to be playing every year. So I can't say I'm the biggest fan of it either because it was kind of nice having the separation of the conferences. Yeah, the big rival for Oklahoma back in the day was Nebraska, yeah. and they're in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's – things have changed. Yeah, I get to hear stories from my dad about, you know, how uh, those 70s Nebraska teams, you know, used yeah. to be just a joy Some to Some of the watch. greatest college football mm-hmm. games ever was, uh, it was well, Texas, the Red River Shootout, or what do we call it now? The uh, Same, still, Red River Shootout. Well, they have a new yeah. name because they don't want Shootout. There's a new oh, name okay. for it. See, that might but, yeah, but the River, on me. You know what I'm talking about. That Texas, Oklahoma has always been big, but Oklahoma, Nebraska, back mm-hmm. when I was a kid, was big eight. And those were such huge games. And now I'm just trying to follow it. You're like, it just doesn't make – and USC – and UCLA in the Big Ten. Yeah, that one doesn't make sense to me. I will say for the OU Nebraska one, though, I got to go, I want to say it was in 2001. It was one of my first football games, but Nebraska was one, OU was two, and they came to Norman. And it was, I mean, even to this day, I was probably five years old, but a game I vividly remember just because it was, I mean, such an electric ball game. You have the huge rivalry. I mean, just a great crowd. But, yeah, my dad has kind of instilled, you know, making sure I understand that, you know, Nebraska is right there with Texas as far as how that rivalry is. I've been to, uh, I've done a couple of games at, at Oklahoma. Beautiful. And, and a ton of fun. You the Whenever I've done LSU, I've done a bunch of these games, and it's like, 
our you know people just don't get it what college football is life college football is everything i mean i mean arkansas for god's sake i mean it's yeah. it's so huge and the tailgating and the parties yeah. people get there like as games on saturday these rvs are rolling in on <laughs> thursday yeah that's one thing that you know oh you had you have a tailgating atmosphere but the that is one thing about the sec is different you know arkansas hasn't been necessarily a powerhouse since i've been you know a fan and i've seen alumni from there now but you know, you go to the tailgating, it's a whole different atmosphere. I mean, it's it's half of the enjoyment is, you know, the tailgating before the game. And it's cool because we have actually some family friends who grew up Arkansas fans. And like I said, they're there at 6 a.m., you know, on Saturday, setting up Friday night, whatever. And it's, I mean, just a whole show. You know, it, that's the emphasis of their weekend is getting that tailgate set up. So it was, that was a whole new atmosphere for me. But, man, it's been cool. And and how about for you USCC guys, is, is Nick Saban ever going to retire? Oh, man. When is this going to end? You hope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kind of got a guy. We got Sam Pittman now at Arkansas who we're kind of building a program. You know, you kind of have the Arkansas culture. But, you know, when you're consistently competing against the recruits that, you know, Alabama's getting and, heck, now even Georgia, I mean, it just seems like that it's just a never-ending thing that you just can't compete with those guys. But, you know, we're, we're coming. We, we feel strong with our team coming this year. We're projecting second in the West, so yeah, we're feeling good about football season in, in Fayetteville. Well, now that you know we have fun here on A's Cast Live, and foot, and my God, training camp for the Niners starts tomorrow, right? Yeah, Shanahan and Lynch were talking today. So it's like uh, college football before you you know it is here. You got to come back to the program. Hey, you guys, I am I am a huge football guy. Football and baseball are right here for me. So anytime you want, I'm I'm actually a Rams fan. So you know, I know it's probably LA not, Rams fan. So when they were, I grew up when they were in St. Louis. Oh, okay. So when they, when they were there, it was always kind of like we had you know, the greatest show on turf. That yeah. was kind of when I came up with football, and that was, you know, one of the closer teams to me. And then when I moved out to L.A., I was like, ah, oh, with the fandom, I don't know if I, you know, jump off the bandwagon, go somewhere else. But it's worked out now. We got Sean McVay and – you know, things are looking good with Matty Stafford oh, now. What a year was unbelievable. Too bad you weren't here when the Raiders were here. I used to work for the Raiders, too, and the Raider, this place, you could have seen this place for Raider games. I've oh, heard stories, yeah. Everybody in costumes, and it was <laughs> rocking. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen coming that. here. Yeah, no, that's insane. Well, appreciate the time. Keep doing what you're doing, and, you know, I don't. I, obviously you guys don't listen to the postgame show, but, uh, but there's been some mentions uh, from me saying I could see uh, – Closing some games out in your career. Yeah, like I said, at this point, you know, we, we have our guys here in the back of the bullpen now that, you know, I, I feel like have been really effective as a whole. So, you know, as as I I guess I would speak for the whole bullpen saying, you know, we are not big stack guys. We don't really care who gets it done as long as we're holding down the score down there. Good stuff. Come back soon. Right, thank you. Joe, do we have you? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You got me hope. Yeah, we see you. Welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? I'm still kicking on the right side of the grass. There, there's no doubt about it. And you know what? 
One of the things I always love about doing these videos is I love always seeing the hardware behind guys like yourself. You got the World Series trophy. You got the gold gloves. That is awesome. Thank you. Well, very, very blessed life. Let's put it that way. So what's it going to mean to you to go into the A's Hall of Fame? I was flabbergasted when they contacted me about that. You know, Dave called me and told me that they had voted that in. And I was, you know, I knew they had just started. There's a whole lot of great players that were, uh, I thought, way ahead of me. I'm not so sure about that because, you know, when you talk about those three straight World Series titles, you talk about that run uh, of the group, 72, 3, 4, 5, you know, that when you guys not only won World Series but were going to the playoffs, uh, 71, um, they talk about you as such a glue. And, and our guy Ray Fossey used to talk all the time about what you meant to the lineup, what you meant defensively. Uh, just is this kind of the icing on the cake for you with your career? Absolutely. I mean, this is uh, amazing, really. I mean, I, I look back at my career and, you know, I was a young guy growing up in a little town called Waterford outside of Modesto, about 20 miles east of there, a little town of 900 and just getting the opportunity to play and, and looking at the coaches I was blessed to have over the years. And of course, getting to, to uh, Oakland when we moved there and having Joe DiMaggio teach me how to play the outfield and, you know, working with us on hitting. And I mean, you just, we had guys like Gabby Hartnett and uh, Luke Appling, Hall of Famers when I first started back in the Kansas City A's days, they were coaches on the team. And, uh, you know, there was no trying, you know, you had to get the job done. You got a guy in second base, nobody out, you better get him to third. There's no excuses that you tried. If you can't do it, you better bunt. So, you know, it was just a, we were brought up the right way, I would call it. You know, when, when Joe D was your coach, and I know, hey, you're a professional athlete, but was there ever a time where you're like, wow, Joe DiMaggio in all white and the white cleats? Was, was that What was that like for you, Joe D being your coach? Well, going during training, at, you know, the first time when he was there at 68 and stuff, I mean, I was scared to talk to him. You know, I'm 20, 21 years old, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm a, I, they put me out in the outfield with him. I was afraid to ask a question or say anything, but, you know, he was such a super nice guy, and he just put me such, such you know, re relaxed thing and how he was teaching me the footwork and how to anticipate things, where to have an eye shift to the hitter to look for the ball coming your way and how to get a jump on the ball. I mean, it was, it was nonstop you know, graduate university type stuff for, uh, that I never even heard of before. You know, I, I signed out of high school as a playing shortstop all those years and then uh, played a little bit of third base for a couple of years before they decided to put me in the outfield. So I had very little experience uh, on playing the outfield. And I, I remember when I first went out there, first major league game, I mean, I think it was in Yankee Stadium that, you know, the hitter looked like an ant. You know, the ballpark was so huge. And you're standing out there and you're so used to playing a minor league or, you know, high school fields. It was, <laughs> it was a big adjustment. Very big. I can't imagine. I mean, central California, small town to playing in Yankee state. Well, you know, think about you coming up in Kansas city, just thinking about being in the big leagues, how overwhelming that could have been. Well, it really was at the time. Alvin dark was the manager in 1967 and I signed in 64 with a broken hand. I only played maybe 50, 60 games. 
65, I got, you know, they had to protect a bunch of us. That was the year they had Catfish and Blue Moon Odom and Renee Latchman, you know, a whole bunch of guys. And uh, so I ended up playing, um, getting claimed by Cleveland. So I played just a part of a year. They, then I went in the Marine Corps, came out, and I only played about 85 games, 90 in A-ball, 1966. You know, I was with the whole, almost the whole team that ended up in the big leagues. With you know, we had Reggie there and Duncan and Fingers. A lot of those guys, Larusa was there, and so the, I played a ball in 1966. Go to spring training in '67, and Alvin Dark takes me north. So I went from a ball to the big wow. leagues, and that's what I'm saying. I got in that first time going into the big ballparks, and you know, Kansas City wasn't quite so bad. It was more like a Triple A minor league ballpark at that time but i just remember our first trip going into some of the big fields like yeah, cleveland and and uh, yankee stadium they're just gigantuous uh, stadiums it was really tough to judge the ball so going from kansas city out here to oakland when was it for you did you go we got something here we got something really special well it, you know it was sort of different because it was a different era, of course, you know, so we were able to play together, you know, all that, the core of that team started out in rookie ball to A ball, the double A ball. Some of us went to, up and down with triple A a little bit, but most of us went right from double A to the big leagues. And so I started out in triple A in 68 and they called me up early May. Actually, the, the first game I ever played in, in Oakland stadium was the night catfish pitched the pervy game. Mm. That was my first game in Oakland. I'd never been in the ballpark. <laughs> my knees are knocking. I'm praying, don't screw this up. You know, mess up his perfect game. And so that was my first game in Oakland. And so, again, you know, each year we saw a little improvement. I think 1970, we, we actually ended up on the positive side of win one and loss record. And we could just see all of us growing. Because we had all come out of that, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids. Now we're getting into our early 20s. And I think in Oakland in 1968, after I got called up, our average on-the-field age was 22. So we had a really young ball club. Of course, we got our butts beat a lot early on, but we kept getting better and better. And you had the right guy, the right taskmaster. I mean, you talk about somebody that uh... – you know, obviously he's in the Hall of Fame, Dick Williams. You, you had the right guy leading the charge. You know, I think really put us to the top. Was we, you know, we had good managers. Johnny McNamara was great. I played for him in Double A, and he really gave me my chance to play every day in 1970. Of course, that was uh, the big break for me was Reggie holding out, and after his big year in '69, uh, he held out most of spring training. Johnny Mack came up to me and says, "Hey, you're my left fielder." It's your job to lose. He said, I'm playing you in every inning of every game of spring training, which I did, uh, to get my, you know, enough experience and time playing and everything else. And uh, so it, it was, you know, going, and then they were able to bring in uh, Dick Williams, and he was a real taskmaster. You know, he, play, he played small ball. There was no, you didn't make mental errors. He didn't, he didn't jump on you if he made a physical error. But you better know where you had to throw the ball, what was happening, how many outs there were. And uh, he was a real stickler. And that's why we, with our team, especially in Oakland, and the way the ballpark was set up at that time, you know, the ball didn't carry. There were very few home runs hit out towards center field. 
And so we, we would have a lot of two to one, three to two, four to three games that were tight. And, uh, you know, we had a great defensive team and great pitching. You know, just recently doing the interview with Raleigh Fingers and kind of talking about the dismantling of the team. And it just kind of was the start of reality in our sport, right? I mean, you guys were – what happened to you now happens every single year. We've been dealing with it for decades. You guys just happened to be the first great team where money really became an issue and free agency, Charlie Finley saw it. Uh, it's sad to say, but it's kind of like – after you guys, kind of the way the business of baseball started to go, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, we went through the very first year of, of free agency, and you know, we didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the year. We didn't know if they're going to blackball us, uh, if they were going to change the, the you know the rules and everything. And nobody knew what was going to happen until that fall, when all of a sudden teams actually started bidding for our services. Uh, and I think as you look back at the beginning, early part of the year with the contracts going back and forth, Philly could have signed a majority of the team that left for less than each of us got individually. You know, we were asking for like, you know, a three-year contract at 400,000 total, you know, 133 a year or something like that. And uh, you look at a lot of us were in it, you know, able to get quite a bit more than that in the free agency thing. But, you know, Catfish really set that up when he got declared a free agent you know, with a career that he'd had up to that point, you know, the 20 game, it was Cy Young, the one winner in 74, you know, and he goes from making maybe a hundred thousand if he was making that to, to a five-year guarantee contract at 750,000. I think that really opened a lot of people's eyes. And of course, Messersmith and McNally went through the 75 season without, without signing. And then they became, you know, they arbitrarily declared a free agent. That's where how this whole thing opened up. But I, I really think that Catfish gave them the push to do what they did. Yeah, well, now guys are talking about, well, $400 million contracts. We may be in the realm of $500 million. Boy, do they owe you guys for uh, being courageous and testing the system. Uh, when you look back, just how tough was it, though, to leave Oakland? Well, it was, it was horrible. We cried. You know, we, we you know we grew up in outside of Modesto. Actually, went to high school in Modesto, Downey High. There, uh, you know, our families were real close. Uh, you know, we could run home on the weekends and stuff, and see our folks and you know, you know brothers and sisters and all that stuff. And so, for us personally, especially, uh, we did not want to leave. Absolutely, didn't want to leave. You know, all of us had homes. You know, out there, in, like I said, down in the Walnut Creek, uh, Danville area. And, uh, you know, we all had played together all those years. We're like brothers. And uh, the last thing we wanted to do was split up. And, uh, you know, it was crushing to, to have that happen. Obviously, financially, it was, it was wonderful for all of us to, 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 to go through that. But I think all of us would have given up a lot of that money to stay together and had that team uh, win a few more World Series. Well, going into the A's Hall of Fame, your greatness will always be remembered. And I just wonder for you, at what point in your life did you really sit back and go, wow, we were one of the best in the history of the game. There's only the Yankees and the A's have won three in a row or more. So when was it where you really got a chance to sit back and just go, wow, what we did, spectacular. 
Well, first of all, I never considered myself a great player. You know, if you talk about greatness, we're talking about Catfish, Raleigh, Reggie, those kind of guys that had incredible uh, careers. But as a team, you know, when you you know, you look at what the Angels went through, you know, when we went down there trying to bring in all those all-star players, and, and they never won. And so the, you know, the chemistry and having the right people in the right place and the right management on and on uh, was what we really relished. You know, I think now if a player looking back on the career, a lot of people don't remember what you hit for batting average, how many home runs you hit. They remember that you were a winner. And for us, you know, being able to win like we did those three in a row, uh, five straight division championships, all that kind of stuff. That's what people remember. You know, I still run into people that remember those days that are that age. And uh, so, you know, that was what was, you know, fabulous for us. And as I said before, it was a different era where we could keep that group of players together. Can you imagine having that group in today's world and trying to pay them? No. I can imagine what this show would be like. It would just be all about talking about money every single show. It would just be – because, you know, you guys had such confidence. Ray Fossey would always tell me the story about when he first arrived at spring training and Dick Green behind the batting cage went, oh, yeah, regular season's great, but we're going to win the World Series again. I mean, the ultimate confidence that you guys had after winning that first one and you did it without Reggie – you knew that, hey, you guys are coming to spring training to win the World Series. I mean, that's ultimate confidence. It really was. And now, again, we weren't making any money. So the, the, well, those checks that we got for winning the World Series were huge. Well, that was the first time we got, ended up on the plus side. And, uh, you know, I think I hit 309 in 1970. And I had to hold out almost two weeks in the spring training, about 10 days probably in the spring training to go from 12.5 to 20,000. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a different era. That's all it is. And, you know, like I'm, I don't begrudge these guys today. I mean, you know, the careers are short and uh, they've, they've got the same issues we had of, of life. And, you know, it's not what you make, it's what you spend. And so you still got to be careful with the money because, you know, I can look back like in 72, my wife and I thought if we could have any kind of investments where we could make a thousand dollars a month, we'd be set for life. Well, you got to multiply that by quite a bit to make it today. And to think all that was happening with the owner running the franchise in Chicago in the Midwest. Like when you try and tell young fans how things used to go, like Charlie Finley's on a phone running a major league baseball team. And let's face it, you got to give him credit because he did bring all of you guys together and you won the championships and he did it all from Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, we can all blame it on Hammer, right? I mean, he was yeah. the man. <laughs> but he was a cute kid. But uh, no, it's amazing. We did different. We had no front office. You know, we, we just had a, a couple of people up there and, uh, it was amazing that how the thing, you know, stayed together, how it ran, and that we were able to get through a season without, you know, showing up not having a plane or a bus or whatever we needed to get from point A to point Z. I think we spent, you know, half of our life in the Chicago airport because we always flew commercial. We didn't have charters back then. And so uh, it was a, a totally different game back then than it is today. Like I said, it continues to change and uh, – I'm happy for these guys today and, and how things are working out. And I think the owners, you know, they're not stupid. They're making money. No, no, no doubt about it. 
and it's good. Everybody's making money, and right now uh, the game is doing very well financially. And when I think about coming full circle, right, you, you know, the start of your life, you're a young man, you're winning championships, you're going to all-star games, and then now you're going to be inducted into the A's Hall of Fame, rightfully so. You're one of the great A's of all time. What do you think it's going to be like when you get up in front of that crowd and you give the speech? I just hope I don't start crying because it's going to be an emotional thing when I look back at, you know, what we went through, uh, and how, you know, getting there and, and the team together and stuff. And it, uh, it still breaks my heart to look back and, and have that team, you know, dismantled the way it was because uh, it was a long trip getting to that point and, you know, growing up and becoming confident players. And uh, it's, it's, like I said, it's the cherry on top of the cake. You know, I and let's end on this because it's something that I, I'm going to ask Dave Stewart too because when you give that speech, it's going to be in the same stadium you played on. A lot of times now when guys give speeches, it's in a brand-new stadium, the stadium you won in where all your memories happened is now gone. You're going to step out on that field, and unfortunately you lost. As you said, these guys are brothers. You've lost a few, including our, our dear friend Ray Fossey. What does that – you think going to mean just not emotions just for you when you walk out there that it's going to still be on that field where you made that greatness happen. You're not at some new ballpark. Yeah. It's amazing that, you know, time passes that, you know, the Coliseum was the oldest stadium in in baseball now when it was brand new when we first moved into it. But uh, yeah, I've thought about many times. I wish that the players of today could, uh, have played ball back in that era that we played in that ballpark with the coastal fog coming through the lights at night. and You know, balls hit the left field. Me and ground balls were spinning water off the ball. And uh, I remember asking Ricky Henderson how, how he handled the wet balls. And he looked at me like I was from outer space because by the time, you know, the late 80s when he was there, you know, the climate had changed. They didn't have that stuff coming in at night. You didn't have the lights dimming because of the fog or, you know, the wetness out there. And like I said, I can probably count on one hand the number of balls that got hit out in straightaway center field. You couldn't hit the ball out of Oakland in center field. So it's a different world there now. Sportsman, you know, that big monster they put out in center field, that changed the whole complex to some degree. But, you know, the ground is still there, the, the stands and the people. It's amazing how many people that when I've been there, you know, from time to time that are still coming that were coming when we played. Yeah. Yeah, because you weren't able to make the 72 celebration earlier this year, correct? Well, we were supposed to, but I was sitting in the Miami airport, and one of the American Airlines uh, canceled our flight at the last minute, so they're still on my bad list. And uh, we couldn't. there was no way we couldn't get another flight to get, uh, get to uh, Oakland. So we got, um, fortunately, my son was there with, and my daughter. Uh, they'd already flown up there. And uh, so he he represented the, the Rudy family and uh, very happy that he was able to be there. Yeah, we had a Q&A down the right field line that I hosted and so many fans that were there during that time. And, you know, they grew up watching that team. It, it, too bad you weren't able to be there. It was uh, – it was really special because that was really, you know, 72 was the start. And then, of course, 73, 74, greatness there. But uh, just so many, so many tremendous stories around your guys' team. And I'm so glad you guys are being celebrated, not only when we look at the teams, but players like yourself. You know, you have your iconic moments, obviously the catch in the 72 World Series. 
and all of you guys really have at some point an iconic moment. Uh, we always love joking with Foss about Raleigh Fingers jumping into his uh, into his arms after beating the Dodgers in the World Series. So these 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 moments that we still get to see on MLB Network and we get to see on NBC Sports California are just so special. Thank you for coming on A's Cast Live. A lot of fans probably don't know this, but. I'm going to be interviewing you in about eight minutes for television, so I will see you in about uh, in about eight minutes. But it's always great to have your time. You've been so good to us over the years here on A's Cast Live, and we're so happy for you. We can't wait to see you on the day of of uh, getting inducted into the A's Hall of Fame. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's it's amazing that to still be remembered forty years later. So I'm very. <laughs> humbled by all that so thanks again for having me take care and be well god bless the great joe rudy three-time world series champion three-time gold glover three-time all-star kind of like foss two-time world series champion two-time all-star two-time gold glove winner uh very humble man what a great i mean he had a great career uh I mean, first of all great career it's rawlings gold glove is what ray would always correct us by saying but, yeah, he had a great career. Are you correcting Wikipedia? I believe everything I read on the Internet. Well, I mean, I was looking when I was looking at his uh, credentials when I was putting it up for StreamYard and everything, and I saw the three-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion, three-time uh, Rawlings Gold Glove winner. I'm like, so he's just Ray with one more of each is what he – I mean, it's what he did. I mean, those guys were incredible. All those guys from 72 through 74, uh, Raleigh, Vida, um, Sal Bando, the captain – um, a lot of history with those teams, and I'm glad we're inducting some of those, some more of those players in the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're talking about the it's it's one of the greatest baseball teams in a in a sport that's been played for over 150 years. You got to have something special to win that much. Because remember, that started in 71, then they won 72, 73, 74, still won in 75. And as they always say, we could have kept that thing rolling. It's still, even though they didn't keep it rolling, it truly is one of the great runs. And, you know, how, how important is your team? So there's a lot of World Series teams, obviously. But if you're to tell the true history of baseball, not every World Series team is going to get mentioned. Can you tell the history of baseball without talking about the A's of the early to mid seventies? No, I think you have to. You have to. I mean, they're them and the Yankees. Well, in, in that, in, in, if you're going through the decades, right? In that, in the seventies, it's going to be A's and Reds. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. You know, the the Reds losing in 72 to the A's and coming back winning 75-76. And even though the Yankees got in there in the uh, late 80s still, well, the Yankees will always get mentioned, but it'll be the Reds and the A's in the 70s. You can't tell the history of baseball without talking about, well, the A's in general because there's so many championships and so many great players and Hall of Famers, but you can't tell the history of baseball without talking about a team that won three straight World Series and was that dominant. Yeah, it's just like the late 80s, too. You can't tell the story of the late 80s baseball without talking about the A's. Even if they didn't win the World Series in 88 and 90, they were still there. And, 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 and by the way, in a sport that was different back then, in, in some ways, I'm not going to say it was always different, but they didn't care necessarily about things that we care about now. 
right? Like, it's just win the division, whatever the record was. Win it if you had 93 wins, you got 95. No one's like, you got to get 107 wins, and you got to, you know, you didn't have that. Yeah. You know, once you had a comfortable lead, you just, you know. So looking at records and looking at certain things back then, you know, it's like when Jack Morris would talk about, we talked about it, the Hall of Famer was on this program, A's Cast Live, talking about, you know, back in the day, you go out and give up five runs in the first two innings. They're not pulling you. You're still trying to go eight innings. How they viewed numbers are far different from today. I mean, the way we look at numbers, I mean, my God, it's a completely different deal. Like, we've had to, like, reintroduce, hey, there's value beyond numbers. There's value to a guy playing multiple positions. There's a value to a guy showing up and being healthy every day. There's a value to, to a guy not being a you-know-what in the clubhouse. You know, we've had to we've had to we've had to bring back certain values that mean something to winning teams. It's just not all, hey, what's your weighted runs created plus? You know, you got to be more than that. And to winning baseball. And those guys wasn't always about numbers. Those guys sacrificed numbers to win games. Guys don't want to sacrifice anything today. Why? Because numbers mean cash. Numbers mean money. It's just a reality. Uh, Joe Rudy, career 112 OPS plus. I, baseball reference doesn't have way to run create a plus on here, so I can't help you with that. But you're right. It was completely different back then. I mean, the save wasn't really even a big statistic back then. No. And Reggie dropped the best line ever. When you knew Raleigh's coming to the game, you grab your hat and coat and go home because you knew the game was over. You knew the game <laughs> was over. All right, coming up next, we'll talk to the skipper. It's a Friday. Mark Kotze will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Well, today has been a special day because we just had Joe Rudy on who is going into the A's Hall of Fame. And to my right, and for you listening on A's Cast Live, you can't see it, the great Dave Stewart, A's Hall of Famer, is with me. Stu, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, man. And I got to thank for you, as someone who grew up watching Joe Rudy, Sal Bando, our guy Ray Fossey, who's going in. This class is probably pretty special for you as an A's Hall of Famer and to watch these guys go in. Well, it is special, uh, and I was a huge fan of Joe Rudy. I'm um, in the A's teams, uh, you know, we can go all the way back to 1968 when they first came here and when they became the championship teams that they were. I mean, it brought a lot of par- pride to the area. And, you know, I live right down the street, yeah. so I can pretty much ride my bicycle up and I'm I'm here in minutes. So it, it was just a great time to be, you know, in East Oakland and to be an Oakland A's fan. What did that team mean to you guys as a stamp? as a standpoint of putting Oakland on the map as kids? Well, first of all, it's Oakland's first baseball team. Um, and, and you know, the, the number of kids that grew up here in the area. I mean, we can start with uh, Joe Morgan, and we can go to Frank Robinson. We can Veda Pinson. We can take all those names, and the newer names are Ricky Henderson and Dontrell Willis and all those guys. We're all from this area, and in 19... 72, 73, and 74, Oakland's first baseball team, which was a relocation from Kansas City, um, we were all playing in our yards, and we we unfortunately or fortunately left the Giants and became A's fans, and um, rightfully so when you can put together teams that repeatedly win championships, you know, win back-to-back-to-back years. Um, it, It doesn't happen often, and I don't know how many times it's happened in Major League history. Yeah, only the A's and the Yankees. Two, there's only two organizations that have won three 
or more in a row, and it's these two organizations. And you think how long we've played baseball, that tells you a lot. Uh, what a great accomplishment this is. And for me, it's like – I was born in 72, so I was alive, but I didn't get to see it. But now, having worked around the A's for so many years, I truly understand the greatness. And it's like they didn't they didn't get their due, but they're like a fine wine. As it gets older, they're, they're aging really well, and they're finally really getting their due as, you know, baseball history and historians are looking at this era going, hey, listen, this A's team, you can't tell the history of baseball – Without talking about the '80s of the early mid '70s, I mean, you have to talk about those teams. If if you if you talk about greatness, if you talk, you know, you you talk about, you know, the 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 greatest teams put together. You have to talk about those teams. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson in the middle of them, they had tremendous tremendously good pitching staffs um, each and every year, and they can hit and they brought excitement to the game. They played the game the way the game that was supposed to be played. When the Oakland A's came in town uh, with the white shoes and the green and gold, um, you knew that you had your work cut out. And, and those guys, they, they just refused to be beaten. Well, one of the great things that we love having you on the program is we'll be hosting together A's pre- and post-game live, which is always fun. And uh, as much as, you know, when I was growing up in high school, being a pitcher, you were the man. So you were always one of those guys. I had a poster of you. You're one of those guys that uh, – <laughs> Uh, uh, from our generation, you, you know, you're one of those players that we always hold in that pedestal. And then just from the A's world, and I think about your career, you know, as a player, as a coach, as an agent, as a GM, and soon-to-be owner, can't wait for all that, and that'll be huge. You basically, you know, we always talk about the NFL Network has a football life. You've had a baseball life. And I want to ask you about the two guys that are so interesting right now. I want you to put your GM hat on. Is you think about you got Juan Soto's twenty three. You got him for the if you trade for him, you can flip him at any point. But let's just say you're keeping him long term. You can keep him till the end of this year, and then two more years. And then now they're floating out Shohei Otani, which is a generational player. He's a huge money maker. You think about what he does for you off the field and on the field. What do you think it would be like as an opposing GM to try and acquire one of these guys? Well, it's a nightmare, quite frankly. Um, both of those players, Otani, I believe, is going to require more than Soto. Um, because Otani is a two-way player, and he's not just a two-way player. He's a two-way all-star player. Cash cow. He's, he's an all-star pitcher. He's an all-star hitter. Um, and he does come into a lineup and come to a team, um, in my opinion, with more impact than Soto. And so because of that, um, you, don't, you, don't have, <laughs> you don't have enough players, in my opinion, in your system, good <laughs> players in your system. To make that kind of trade, you, you just don't have it. And and I say that also about Soto. You, you just don't have enough good players in your system to make that kind of trade. And so as a general manager, um, without putting your whole system, your whole minor league system at ransom, um, it's a very, very difficult trade to make for either one of those players. It, it, would it be like uh, you go into a restaurant and you have a menu, you got your starters, you got your soups and salads, you got your entrees, you got your desserts? I mean, would you just say pick what you want? Well, what you're going to have to try to do is, uh, I mean, and it's, it, it's, it's, an, it's an exchange. 
um, as the general manager, you send them over a list of players that you would be willing to trade. And, and obviously, you're not sending them chump players. You're sending them a good list of players. You're gonna have uh, you're gonna have some of your top ten prospects in there, um, and hopefully, you can get a deal done that way. Um, but in in a trade like this, the other the opposition, the Angels are gonna be sending you back. Your one, your two, your three, your four prospects, and they're going to be asking for a lot. It's it's a it's it's a difficult trade to make. I I can't even imagine um, what what you get back in compensation. Is it a four player trade? Is it a five player trade? In my opinion, you don't have four players that are good enough for Otani. Yeah. You don't have four players that are good enough for Soto. Um, and a lot of times when you have trades like this, it ends up being three-way trades. You you end up doing trades through other organizations to try to get the package that you want to put together. You get another organization's one or two prospects to try to put together a group of one prospects for an Otani or for a Soto. And I know Bob Nightingale said, said today on Friend of the Program with another friend of the program, Buster Only, both those guys are very generous with their time and they come on Ace Cast Live. And Bob talked about the money that sponsorship-wise that Otani brings in, 20 to $30 million a year, which I think could even be more because of how big he is in Japan. How much would ownership be looking at, you know, not just what does this guy do as a pitcher, what does this guy do as a hitter, how does he affect us? It's like what he brings into the bottom line for an organization is amazing. Well, I mean, this guy may be an equivalent to – a friend of Fernando Valenzuela um, for me in my period of time. Fernando Valenzuela filled the stadiums, not just in the Dodger Stadium. Um, he filled stadiums at every park he played in. Um, he brought the Mexican market back to Los Angeles. Uh, with Otani, I mean, you've got all markets. You've got the Asian markets. You've got everybody that, that watches baseball is watching this guy. And my guess would be, and I don't know this, now you're getting international um, you're getting international media, not just the writers, but also television that are that are chiming into this. And there may be money from that, you know, being available to watch him play every day and pitch. So there's a lot that he grabs from. There's a lot of pots that he's got his hands in that are all good for any baseball team that would acquire him. Now, I can tell you, I live Fernando Mania growing up in San Diego. An old Jack Murphy Stadium was built for football. It was a football stadium. And Padres would have, what, like 17,000, 15,000. Fernando Valenzuela would pitch, and it was like an NFL game. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was, it was unbelievable. It was like, even if, even like the night before, let's say he pitched on a Saturday, Dodgers would be in town to be yep. 20,000. Next night, 56,000 people to watch right. for it. It was amazing. That is right. There, you, there, you, there, there was never a game that Fernando pitched that the park didn't sell out wherever he was. He was a tremendous draw. But he was a great performer. This is a guy that could swing the bat. He could pitch. He won his rookie year. He did just about everything that you could do in a rookie season. And it continued on for year after year after year. But once again, in Dodger Stadium and at all ballparks across the country, this guy attracted fans like no other player did in that era in that time. And can still swing it with the with the old uh, sticks. It's oh, still yeah. a tremendous golf. He was a great athlete. A lot oh, of people, yeah. you, you looked at he was round, but 
Fernando was legit. He's a great athlete. You're right. All right. From the ace perspective, Tuesday's coming around the corner. Frankie Montas. I don't know if you throw Paul Blackburn in there, Cole Irvin. Uh, you start looking at position players, guys that could help you versatility-wise. When you look at a Pender, maybe even a Kemp who started to get hot. Sean Murphy's a big call, a catcher at 27 years old. How much action do you think the A's will do before the training deadline? Well, I think that there's probably a lot of asking, um, no doubt about it. I think people are asking about Murphy. I'm not sure that Murphy is a tradable piece right now. Um Pender is a tradable piece. Uh, he's going to be a free agent. Um, you've got Montas, who, in my opinion, is one of the top pitchers on the market um, for any team. He, he he goes into a rotation. He's at the top of your rotation. And when I think about the rest of, of possible trades for the A's, I just don't know that it makes sense um, because they've got a lot of guys that are controllable pieces for a long time that aren't making a lot of money right now. Um, and, and so there may be no reason to do that. And, you know, I, I don't know that you're going to get that good of a return for any of these other pieces. Frankie Montage, the proper time to trade him. And I think that this was planned from from the beginning of spring training till the point that he is traded is that they figured his most effective time and the time that they would get the best that they could for him is at the trade deadline. And I believe that they're going to make a killing. Okay, so I was going to ask you, I was going to follow up. If they don't get exactly what they want, do you hold them and wait till next offseason? I don't think that it happens. I think that their best time right is right now. I think that there are enough teams that are contending, um, some teams that are short. Um, when you look at the rotations of, of a lot of these teams, there are some holes in there. I mean, Houston Astros are a team that I, I like their starting rotation. I think that the Yankees aren't too sure about their rotation. The Phillies might be after them. You never know where this could end up. But teams that are a question mark in their rotation, they're fourth and fifth guys because Frankie fills in now at the top of the rotation that pushes everybody back. He may not be the one, but he might be the two or he could be the three. And if he's the two, the three goes to four. So he's one of those guys that makes your rotation better. He makes gives you a little bit more length. I think that the time for the age to move him is now. Yeah, and then you can take one of your better starters for the playoffs and put that guy in the bullpen. And we saw how the Nationals used starters in the bullpen, and that was huge for them in their World Series run. You know, talking about what you have going, I, and I know as big as A's pre- and post-game live is for you, um, you got some big things going in Nashville. If you haven't been following it, New York Times did a big thing on yeah. you. Uh, there's been a lot of national pub. But if you're an A's fan going, what's Dave Stewart been doing these days? <laughs> Uh, we've talked a little bit, you know, we're not doing TV together. We've talked about it. I think it's absolutely fascinating. What you're doing is going to be great for baseball, uh, great for Nashville, great for your career. Yep. And you have to be so excited because once, once Oakland and Tampa <laughs> get situated, here comes Dave Stewart and Nashville. Nashville. We, we have a, we have a, we think that we're positioned really, really well in Nashville for expansion. I mean, as you mentioned, um, the A's have to solve their issues and problems here in Oakland or Las Vegas, wherever that's going to be. Uh, Tampa, I think, is being put in a position where they have to solve their problem in Tampa. Um, we've got two expansion territories, which are Nashville. Um, I should say two of the top expansion locations are Nashville and Las Vegas. Um, I have uh, been a part of a group in Nashville for the last four years. 
And now that more expansion talk is being being spoken in 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 the words of baseball, in the words of the commissioner, um, we have become a, a little bit more of a, I think, a front runner in this, um, in getting a team in Nashville. And then the other piece of that is that you know, um, baseball has has said and and it's been spoken. I've talked to I've I've spoken to several owners, um, and had many conversations at this point with the commissioner. And baseball is ready for black ownership. I'm not talking about 5% ownership, uh, similar to what Jeter had, or 20% with Magic Johnson. And I'm not sure what LeBron James has with Boston. But I'm talking about 51% ownership. And I believe that I can pull this together. Um, I have every reason to believe that I can get it done and will get it done. And, um, you know, we've adopted the name of the Nashville Stars. In Nashville, and people say, well, what is that? Well, Nashville had an old Negro League team that played there, and Negro League teams played in Nashville in the 40s and the 50s. And so this, once again, will be a first for Major League Baseball, to take an old Negro League team and apply that to a Major League Baseball team and have that as the name of your baseball organization. So the Nashville Stars is the name that we picked. Um We've got great branding right now. We're we're not even a major league team, but if you look at our at our at our sports memorabilia and the things that we have in our shop, we're selling as good as some of the major league teams are selling. Get the merch out yeah, there. And, you know, on Twitter, we're doing as good. Social media, we're doing as good as some of the major league teams out there. But you know, the big piece of this is it, it's it's a it's a mixed use development. We've teamed up, or we're teaming up right now. We're in, in conversation with TSU, Tennessee State University, one of the old, oldest uh, uh, black uh, colleges, Negro League, uh, Negro colleges. Um, I'm sorry, mixing up my words, but TSU. Um, and so uh, we've teamed up with them. We have 106 acres of land. We're on um, the Cumberland River, which gives us a riverfront stadium. Um we're three and a half miles from where everything is going on. SBCUs, I'm sorry, that's what I was thinking about. Um, and, and TSU is one of the oldest, over 100 years. Um, and so we've teamed up with them, um, and we plan to build uh, the development. We're going to do what all of the other baseball stadiums are doing. Baseball will be surrounded by entertainment. Economy will be, be good in this area. will be hotels, retail, housing, the, the whole the whole bowl of wax, um, and we have a great plan for it. And um, right now, every conversation that we've had has been positive in the commissioner's office. Um, and all we need to do now is, A, solve your problems, and yeah, Tampa, solve yours, and let's move to the next step. Yeah, and if you're ever in Kansas City, I always highly recommend it. The Negro League Museum in Kansas City is second to none. It's a phenomenal museum, and you can learn a lot about the Negro Leagues. Yep, and we are partnered with them, by the way, with the, the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Bob Kendrick. Have them on this program multiple yeah, times. We are partnered with them, and we plan to do um, a, a museum as well um, as part of our stadium. And the other piece that I didn't tell you about, you and I have talked about, but what's interesting about this facility as well, because we are in Music City, yes, um, which is Nashville, um, we do plan to have an entertainment portion to our stadium as well. So it's not just Major League Baseball, which is going to be a 42,000-seat stadium, and you know why that is. We are celebrating Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Um, but we also have a 25,000-seat uh, venue for entertainment. And so our plan with that is to hopefully do 200 shows.
shows a year, do some residencies, similar to what you do in Las Vegas, but do it in Nashville with some of the local artists. And people say, well, you see those artists all the time. But believe it or not, you don't. They're traveling and they're doing they're doing their shows on the road. But similar to what Vegas does, you know, if you can pull in a Garth Brooks, for example, or, you know, we already have Darius Rucker as part of our group. We've got Justin Timberlake as part of our group. Kane Brown as part of our group. Luke Combs, who is one of the biggest country and Western singers oh, yeah. right now, is part of our group. If you can get residencies from those guys, then we can also entertain as well as play baseball. Oh, yeah. And then Disney on Ice comes through for five days. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like it's 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 because <laughs> Nashville is basically the Vegas of the southeast now. Everybody's doing their bachelor parties, their bachelorette parties. It's like the hottest place to go. So and, and one of the coolest things that. I know we've talked about with Tennessee State is you helping rebuild part of the campus. So not only are you coming in going baseball stadium, Mm -hmm. you're talking about some type of uh, like an arena type deal. I mean, and then you're going to build all the stuff and and retail and condos and hotel and all that. But now you're also going to help rebuild part of the college. And we are. Eddie George is the football coach there. And um, their football program is starting in an upward spiral. So we plan to do a, a football stadium for the college. Um, every year they're getting more students that are wanting to go to their college. And so housing is, is, is starting to be a problem. And so we plan to do more residential for the college, performing arts for the college. Um, it's just going to be an overall upgrade on the college, and it's going to put it on the map. Eddie George is doing a great job with the football program. They want to regain their baseball program that they lost years ago. And so we want to be a part of all of that. But believe me, we are – in great gratitude to the college for allowing us the opportunity to to use that land for something that we think will be great for the North Nashville area in general. North Nashville is just like East Oakland, in my opinion. If you go through North Nashville, you might as well be going through East Oakland. So for me, there is a passion in that as well. Uh, as you know, I wasn't picked to do the development uh, at the Coliseum on the on the city portion of the land. And so you know, to still be able to, to do something great in a community that reminds me of a place that I grew up in is top-notch for me. You know, when when I think about what you guys are trying to do, you know, so many times I'll have people on the postgame show, Joe, just build a stadium. It's like that's not what people want to do now. There's more than just building a stadium. And for you, being able to get the plans together with engineers and, and architects, how much fun is that? I mean, you're you're planning your own entertainment world. Well, I mean that, and that is that. That's the key to it all. I mean, you get a hand, you get a hand in it from the ground up, from the bottom to the top, and I don't think that there's anything better than that. I mean, if you've ever built your own home, that might compare to this, but. This is a step bigger than that because baseball has been my life. I've been in baseball for 45 years, 46 years. Um, I've worked, as you said, in every aspect of the game, from coaching to managing to to being a general manager, assistant, minor league. I've done it all. Um, and this, for me, is, is the, the last episode. This is the last page in my book to be able to put together not just a baseball team, but to put together an atmosphere to build culture um, to to help enhance an area, um, I don't think that there's anything bigger than that. Did you ever envision anything like this for your career? You know, I didn't. Um, you know, 
when I was a kid, I know we used to sit on the front porch of me and a good friend of mine, Warren L. Simpson. We sat on the front porch and we, we envisioned all the great things that we wanted to do here in the Bay Area. And some of them, when I was a player, I was able to accomplish. Um, and then, you know, as your playing career goes on and on, you know, you take things a step at a time at that point. You look at how long are you, how long is your career going to be, but you got to play every year to get to 16 years. And then after 16 years, how do you stay involved? Is it going to be in coaching? Are you going to be in the field? Will you manage? Will you be in the front office? And I chose the path, the front office, and eventually got a chance to coach. Um, and then after all of those years, you know, I, I just thought, I'm not done with the game, um, but – I don't want to be bossed. I want to be a boss. I want to have the opportunity to have an effect on an organization, on a culture. And we are minority, but we're also diverse. And in that, you know, we get an opportunity to, to be a blueprint for all businesses across the country um, to be an example of what your business should look like and how it should be run and how things should look. And that is the piece that motivated me. We're, I mean, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a time here now um, where it's, it's necessary and it's needed. Um, and I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, I don't profess to be a world leader, uh, but I do know growing up here in the Bay Area um, and being involved in all different aspects and all nationalities of people and all walks of life, um, I think that baseball needs that. But I also think that baseball is not alone. I think that all businesses need that. They need opinions from all walks of life, people that look like you, people that look like me, people that are Fernando Valenzuela. All walks of life need to be involved in baseball, need to be involved in all businesses. They need to be involved in all decisions so that you can make better decisions. Let's end on this. When obviously Nashville is your love right now, but your your first love will always be always Oakland. Always be Oakland. Just how important is it for Oakland to get Howard Terminal and to get this done and to solidify for the rest of our lives the A's in Oakland? Well, when you when the Warriors leave and and you know some people may say the Warriors were in San Francisco first and then they came to Oakland and then they went back to San Francisco. That could be the way you look at it. When the Raiders leave, I don't think that the city, and if it's the city council or who, I don't think they understand how important this development will be for the city of Oakland. There's not been a major league facility that's been built in a downtown area that has this vision that hasn't been successful for not just the baseball team, but for the economy. And so if this does not happen, if this team is allowed to leave, I think it's going to take Oakland a long time to recover from this, if they recover at all. Yeah, well said. Well, A's Hall of Famer, always great to have you on the program. And uh, you and I doing uh, A's pregame live on NBC Sports California in about a half hour. Coming up soon. Hey, and the A's are hot right now. Just swept the Astros. They're playing real good, but we're in the next series now, so let's, let's, let's start from day one. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.